Yo, what's happening, guys? Welcome to another episode of NC Raw Podcast. My apologies for the delay in getting this one up and posted to you guys. Uh, it was a hectic end of the month. We finished up with eight podcasts for the month, and um, it's just been a busy, busy start to the year for us. We have so many amazing things happening in our community. We're doing our best to to talk to everybody um, who's doing killer work. So. It's been hectic. It took me a bit to, to get this thing put together uh, and posted for you, and I do apologize for that. I do want to give you guys a heads up. We have decided to launch a Patreon page, um, and that thing is live and active. You can check it out at patreon.com slash ncraw. Um, and through that page, you can, as a, as a supporter and as a listener of ncraw, you can subscribe to our podcast and become a financial backer, become a patron of the show. Um, we have a lot of goals and we're really working towards getting our own studio space that can kind of double as like a recovery community center to host like social events and parties and things like that, but ultimately to record more shows and to um, have a, have a home. And so we decided to launch the Patreon page as opposed to other um, means of making this podcast financially sustainable. Um, there are a lot of costs that we incur in doing this for web domain hosting and stuff like that. Um, and we would like to, you know, offer this to you as a supporter, somebody who um, enjoys and, and finds value in the work that we're doing. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month, um, there's different tiers and ultimately what you'll get, um, on top of just, you know, being a supporter of the show, you'll get access to exclusive content, um, exclusive behind the scenes videos from every, every podcast we do and all sorts, sorts of other cool things. So we're excited to do it. Um, we're looking at a couple, a couple of pieces of property in town in, in Silva, um, uh, where we could potentially, create a studio and build this studio. And this is just an avenue to help us do this. I'm investing a lot of my personal time. Uh, I spend probably 30 hours a week um, working on NC Raw. And, you know, it's not this financial contribution isn't to um, pay me any type of salary. It's to invest back into NC Raw to continue to do the work that we're attempting to do. So definitely if you're interested in, um, backing us and becoming a patron check out the page it's patreon.com slash nc raw on this episode we get to sit down and talk to jeremy wilson who is a tribal council member um, for the eastern band of cherokee nations here in cherokee north carolina and his good friend um, Joey Owl. They come on the podcast to talk with us about an upcoming cannabis feasibility study that they're doing on the reservation. Um, and we talked about what that's going to look like and what their intentions are behind it um, as far as what the implications are to legalizing cannabis on the reservation. Uh, we got into a little bit about how it would how it would relate to substance use and mental health and some of the avenues that um, it could, you know, assist in, in what's taken place over the last couple of years on the reservation. So it was an awesome conversation. These guys are super knowledgeable. 
um, and very insightful. Definitely leaders of the community. So I thoroughly enjoy talking to them and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Give some love to Jeremy Wilson and Joey Owl. Living the miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible. Totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal. But things have changed in my life. Is going through different intervals. Finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why you stand before you impeccably so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance. Is that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional and i'm a grown man handle business like a professional i am incredible leo conventional and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is the opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the ncr team and the individuals interviewed we do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. And that's where uh, Councilman Wilson and myself in previous capacities are fighting for um, in light of other states already having some sort of cannabis legalization, whether that be decriminalization so that you have less uh, harsh uh, criminal penalties um, for possession, um, small amounts of uh, on you while you're, while you're moving about, that's not considered trafficking. Um, you're looking at recre- uh, California having been the first state to have medical marijuana in 96 and Alaska, I think in, in 99. And then here we are in 2019 and there are 38 states. Uh, and it's funny that North Carolina is behind Oklahoma, of all states, <laughs> on the uh, legalization trail. They just legalized last year. And um, so I think what we're, what um, Councilman Wilson is, is pursuing now and what I was pursuing is it's all it's a snowball effect. Someone had been advocating for this a long time prior to us coming on the scene. And um, I appreciate Councilman Wilson picking up the effort to continue with the feasibility study and to to generate that data because like you said there are you're on one side of the fence or the other but I think we're all you know there is some light being shed and there are some compromise being had Mm -hmm. and for our end with the tribe we just want to make sure that we generate the most pertinent data to our community yeah and you're doing that through the study it seems sounds like right and I think that's one of the beautiful things about the tribe and on on reservation is that like you're it seems very like forward thinking to do something like that like in all of these states who did legalize recreational or medically it was like on a ballot right they weren't necessarily like presenting the data that you guys were going out to collect to the general public it was like yes or no do you want this or not right without having that information that's what i think something that's unique to the tribe is that you're going to have an in-depth amount of data before you make your decision. Is that correct? Yeah, I think what you've seen a lot of other states do is extrapolate, though, from yeah. what the uh, 
when those ballot initiatives came up, um, you've seen them extrapolate from the success of other states. Mm -hmm. And I brought a um, what has been put together by the ArcView uh, Market Research and uh, BDS Analytics is their sixth edition. And what this uh, firm has done is basically analyze the world market market from the U.S. to uh, Uruguay to the Netherlands to Israel uh, to other countries that have some form of legalization. Um, and looking at that market as it's developed across the United States to say, well, this is trending and it's, it's, a, it's a hockey stick upwards, man. Mm -hmm. We're looking at something like 17 billion at the end of this year to 25 billion by mid 2020s to 30 billion uh, to, you know, it, it just keeps going with, yeah. with where this market can go. <clears throat> so what are you, what, what is happening with this study? What do you, what exactly are you doing? So this is really bringing back what Joey originally um, submitted back in 2015. And I'm trying to push from a legislative perspective to think outside the box when it comes to cannabis because when I first started the discussion, we were, I think, I believe we were in health board and no, it was during a, it was during one of our first council sessions. And, um, I had approached, um, a member from our hospital about, let's start the discussion about medical marijuana. As soon as I said that, how was that received? Was not it was it was received with a lot of hair sticking up because nobody was expecting that to come to come out, and but we have to get to a point where we stop talking about so much of the surface issues that we really start talking about the issues that are hard to discuss, and cannabis is one of those discussions mm -hmm. that's hard for people to discuss because there's such a large stigma attached to it, mm -hmm. and it's so controversial for all the wrong reasons. And that's because of a lack of education. So one of the comments that I get a lot is, why don't the tribe just legalize cannabis? Well, let's say that we did do that, then what? There's, there's no plan attached to the just legalizing cannabis. And it's not just a, a matter of legalizing and then letting people possess it, and then you know all the problems go away because that's not how this works. You have to have a, a blueprint before you build your house. Yeah. And so the house that we're trying to build with cannabis is partly, is a large part of it is hemp right now, um, but we are going to discover the parameters of marijuana and that go from the medical side of, side of it, the economical side of it, um, a plethora of things that you can do with this. And there's a reason why it's sweeping the nation in the way that it, that it is. Um, but the stigma still exists and, and it exists very strongly in the, in the Bible Belt. Um, surprisingly, um, I've not got much, much resistance on this. The more that I'm talking to people about it and kind of giving them, you know, the educational perspective, um, but you have to deliver it to them very simply and to a point where they can understand it. Because if you approach them clinically, it just it just goes over their head for a lot of people. And it's not to say that anybody's you know dumb about the topic. It's just the fact that there's so much about it and there's so information, so much information about it in so many different areas. <coughs> that we have to just really start with the basics and deliver from there. So this study is what we consider to be our blueprint. And we go from agricultural to economics to education to, to law to, um, to, to different uh, public health and human services, how this affects diabetes, how this affects you know, the high blood pressure, high blood sugar issues, um, the opioid epidemic, um, what we deal with in our drug court, you know, th things of that nature. And, um, you know, I, I really get a lot of my information from from Joey. He's he's kind of the mastermind behind all this. Yeah, he showed up with a handful of notes. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, my man's prepared. So when we talk about the um, the in depth part of it, Joey's the, the guy to go to with that. And 
my position is, you know, I have the ability to push this from a legislative perspective. And the more that I, that I push this for my position um, is to really, I try to approach this from a governmental community perspective because there's, there's always that trust factor. And this is, this is not something that I want to push out to people and say, hey, just take my word for it. This is a good thing. Read the headlines on CNN. That, that's not the, the approach that I'm trying to go with is to say, I understand this is a good idea, but do you understand why it's a good idea? Um, an example that I'll use is I went down to Snowbird in, in Robbinsville, and um, it was for a different event down there. But before our alcohol referendum, um, I had a few elders down there that drug me to the side and was you know, discussing why you know, their, their, their viewpoints on the alcohol part. So after we got done with the discussion, I simply just asked them, how do you feel about cannabis? And at the very beginning, it was very anti-cannabis. And that was because of the stigma portion of it. So I started asking them, I said, well, do you understand that there's two different plants? And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, there's THC and there's CBD. I said, CBD is hemp. Have you ever heard of hemp? And they said, no, I don't know what that is. So I started breaking it down, which one was which, and which one was psychoactive, which was non-psychoactive. And the more that I began talking about it, and the more I started talking about the benefit of it, at the end of the conversation, they were for it. So it was just really interesting in the span of about 20, 30 minutes, I was able to change their minds, but it was through education. But at the end of the conversation, it was, see, that's what I want right there, somebody to educate me about this stuff because I didn't know about that. And I would rather people be on cannabis than these opioids. And I said, that's a large part of what we're trying to do is to educate you all on why this is a benefit. And, you know, it's just, it's just something you have to really spend time with people to educate them on and just be open-minded about it, but also be patient with them as well because yeah. the stigma part of it is going to require a lot of patience to deal with. You know, our forte and, and our audience is, <clears throat> I don't know how they're going to receive a lot of this, but I, I want to hear I want to hear some of the stigma that y'all get. What, what, what is it that people want to attack about weed, about cannabis? What's some of the, the things that y'all get a lot of? I, well, I would say you'd hear that stereotypical um, rhetoric that we've heard for, for decades going back to, uh, you know, I've wrote down some notes here. That I, was, I rewatched a little bit of Reefer Madness um, last night because it was a propaganda film started by, um, uh, produced by a church, um, church groups back in the 1936 or 38. And then it was uh, heavily pushed through other morality type organizations to say, look at the detriment that cannabis is going to cause. And. Before that, you go back to Harry Anslinger in the mid-20s through the 30s, and there was this entire campaign push that um, uh, Mexicans are going to get your children stoned, um, white women are going to smoke marijuana, and they're going to get raped by black men. I mean, it was an entire racially, uh, uh, it was a entire racially motivated um, propaganda campaign, um, even so much to target uh, celebrities at that time. And then throughout the years, you look at, you, know, you go fast forward to the 70s, you look at Nixon's war on drugs, and then you go to the 80s with Nancy Reagan, just say no. Uh, and then you get into the 90s, and you see some of the um, lobbying efforts from folks like um, uh, Jack Herrer and Keith Strumpf and uh, Brownie Mary Jane uh, Rathburn, Rathbun at that time, who were advocating, and again, it was contentious, and it was, uh, you know, you're, you're you had entire generations that had been built up with the mindset that well, cannabis is bad, and the government says it's bad. Although we, you know, the USDA uh, at the time didn't claim it. We had hemp for victory produced in 1942 to uh, encourage farmers to produce hemp at that time. Mm -hmm. So there's just all this conflicting um, 
events that have taken place that have led us to where we're now. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't heard that same rhetoric. Oh, when you smoke weed, you get lazy. When you smoke weed, you get dumb. Um, maybe some of the, uh, I think every president up to Trump smoked weed. Yeah. Uh, you got, um, very successful entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs, billionaires, millionaires that have smoked cannabis and done just fine. What do you have? What are your, what are your misconceptions, sir? Uh, we learned in peer support training. Now, um, I could see this as a form of harm reduction, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard it called no, an off-brand um, off drug. So. Yeah, I'll tell you so. Uh, you know, <clears throat> gosh. There's, there's many people, like, in this, in this world that we live in, Caleb, there's many people who might not identify as being a person in long-term recovery who is no longer using the harder, more illicit drugs, right. and they're strictly using, like, marijuana maintenance programs However, they don't identify. About, they they don't identify as a person in recovery, yeah. or they don't show up to various meetings or support groups because they ostracize. Might not be is that because yeah. in the in the in these uh, recovery groups, support groups, that cannabis is still considered part of the drugs that you some. don't want to use in your recovery, or so, some yeah, I would them, say some, yeah. yeah, I would say some. But there's others that others like uh, some of the uh, medication medication assisted treatment programs pr- probably would, and I think that if it was you're still purchasing it illegally in our state. You're still mm-hmm. consuming it illegally in our state. So that stigma that you guys are speaking of probably does carry over a little bit. Now, I do know folks in other states where mer- medical marijuana, my people very close to myself, my family, um, who are using medical marijuana as opposed to Suboxone in other medication-assisted treatments to come off of opioids. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a personal connection, a personal relationship with somebody in my family who is going through that process now, has access to cannabis through legal means, um, prescribed by a doctor, purchased from um, From a a dispensary and legal, completely legal. And, you know, there's probably, there's a shift in, the stigma probably in those areas, in those regions where it is more accepted. Mm-hmm. Full discla- uh, disclaimer, me and Caleb go way back. I was wondering <laughs> if he's going to get to get into yeah, so, I mean, the history. I, I, I was, hell man, like 11, 12. Man, man, we, we was young, out. man. Yeah, we so, was real young. So I've been there through some of the parts of the life that, you know, might reference what we're talking about yeah. tonight. And it so, was, it was wild. Cause you know, Joey, I mean, we was always together, you know, like the pool playing ball together, just running, running, running around together and everything. To and being the just, DD, uh, yeah. 15 for everybody. <laughs> I had, my, I had a learner's permit. Paths, you know, yeah. Joey, he's, he, he uh, made a lot better choices than we did. So just, just had to get that out there though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, to the stigma um, in our community, I I don't know. I mean, Jeremy, you, I feel like you're more out there with community members and hear um, that side of it. There's really no one simple way of putting it. Um, it really just boils down to the getting high, doing bad things sort of discussion. And you know, anytime that you're, you know, my my personal experiences, ones that have been resistant. Um, was that it? You know, the, the marijuana came in and people just got high, and then crime went up, and you know th- those sort of things. But there's really no facts behind that. Yeah. It's just been more of um, the wrong perception of how people used mm-hmm. it. And anything that you abuse is going to be turn out to be a bad thing. It's all in moderation. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, all in moderation. Absolutely. And you know, if if you're not. <laughs> 
We'll have police sit out here in a few minutes, wait on us to leave. <laughs> I don't know. I think the stream might have dropped for a second, so you might be in the clear for oh, a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they dropped that comment a minute ago. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe they're watching us. Right. <laughs> What's um? What What are some of the uh, some bullet points now? How What's the study showing as far as like the harm reduction and and this battle against the opioid epidemic? Like, what kind of benefits does? Well, our study. We just had our first meeting. Um, a few days ago with Rod Kite, he's the attorney for Hampleton. Um, so we, we did pass the, uh, the approval to do the study back in October. Um, <clears throat> over the holidays, it's hard to get everybody together, but we um, recently just passed the uh, resolution to actually fund the study. So everything's still brand new and in the works. We're just now laying the groundwork for it. Um, Hampleton, originally this was supposed to be done in, in April, but due to the you know, the events of the holidays and everybody be on break and everything. And mm -hmm. it's just a hard time to get everybody, that, you know, a group like that together when you've just got so many things going on. You want to take a step back and just talk about, like, how it got to the point where you were, like, what measures you had to take to get this approved, I guess? And then, like, who is Hempleton and what are they actually looking at? So rewinding back to when this all started, um, Joe and I had a discussion whenever I was uh, running for for office, and you know I told him that I was supportive of his his uh, initiative, and you know if I was elected, then that would be something I would support and work and help work on. So I'm following through with that, and uh, this is really just a, a point to bring a feasibility study back to the table, and um, bring him back to the group, and you know say let's let's get this rolling. Um, had you had you approached tribal council at all in the past? So this, this goes back to yeah. 2015. Um, I was in between. Uh, I got kind of tired of the job I was in. Um, had been in it three years, and told my wife, I said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna give my job up, and I'm gonna do some advocacy around cannabis. That's been my lifelong goal." And so uh, around uh, 2015, we did um, a resolution, took it to council to say that we were seeking approval to conduct this feasibility study, which at that time passed unanimously in October of 2015. And you got to think at that time, we just had a new administration come in and the uh, then chief um, vetoed that and it came back in November and it was unanimously upheld of his veto. Mm -hmm. So um, there were some political discussions, I'm sure recourse, especially on a fresh administration to say, well, I don't want this to be a hallmark of my administration is the way I would interpret that. Um, so what we did is we did uh, Common Sense Cannabis, the name of the group. Okay, I was just say, who is we? We, uh, it was myself, uh, Yona Wade, and um, Aaron Hogner. I had reached out to them as um, some friends and you know folks in the community to say, hey, will you put your name to this effort with me? And we did about eight months worth of advocacy going out to community clubs, uh, meeting with, trying to reach out to folks at Normal, the Marijuana Policy Project. Uh, council members. We even went to the then chief a few times to discuss it. And we generated data, what we're trying to do, what he's trying to accomplish now with this feasibility study. And we generated data. We surveyed those that were at community clubs and the community club council. And we got roughly, I think, 176 respondents. And what it showed us was that our community was uh, in majority favor for medical cannabis, but not majority favor for recreational. And so we took that um, to mine and the next resolution we crafted for uh, it was resolution 241 I believe in 2017 um, authorized the creation of a medical marijuana law so you gotta think that's that's two years ago and I got the 
um, recommendation from our attorney general's office on how, if we're going to do medical marijuana law, what that should look like. And a lot of uh, those recommendations based were based on our executive branch and our legisl legislative branch really going out and doing the footwork to speak with uh, congressional representatives, state representatives, U.S. Um, attorney general's office, um, U.S. district attorney's office, and build that rapport to because as, as a tribe, we kind of like a gaming compact. We're looking at it. Well, we have to make sure that we're still dictated by uh, we're dictated by federal law, but there's some applicable state law that would prevent us from doing this, especially the interstate commerce of well, where are you going to get your cannabis clones from, your seeds and all that. Um, so that law was that resolution was passed and it sat there for a little bit until we came back on board and was kind of pushing the effort. And then uh, Jeremy uh, brought up a new resolution to do the feasibility study. And um, that's where we're at today. What is that going to cover the feasibility study? So it's going to cover cover um, agriculture. It will cover uh, public health and human services, working with the attorney general's office on, on the law aspects, the drug court. And, um, there's one more that's not coming to my mind, but it, it's a large part of it's going to be education, but a large part of it is to, well, the economy, um, our LLC board and, and commerce will be a part of the study as well. Um, CIHA is also part of it. Public Health and Human Services is going to be a more of the connecting component to that. Um, the issues that you have when it comes to um, the hospital is when you're dealing with IHS funding, um, it's, it's, uh, it's federal funding. So there are restrictions when it comes to cannabis and for them for, for in order for them to be able to prescribe medical marijuana is a very tough subject right now. So you couldn't necessarily have a doctor prescribe it who's under IHS funding receiving their paycheck through IHS um, would restrict them from being able to prescribe it. So this is the parameter that we're going to have to work around um, or in some, in some case advocate for to um, consider that IHS can, can do, you know, be able to prescribe medical marijuana. Um, this would be one of those um, first stepping points to um, possibly advocating for that from a larger level, um, but this is more of the groundwork basis. Um, but hemp, now that it's uh, with, the, with the Farm Bill passing, it is not a, you know, the way that marijuana is, is not fairly banned substance. So this, this could change when it comes to the hemp side of things. Um, but one of the things <coughs> that we're working on now is to um, bring a hemp pharmacy to Cherokee. And so that way, you know, let's say that you went to the doctor and you were diagnosed with a certain illness or diagnosed with a certain condition, uh, but you didn't want to take opioids or you didn't want to take a prescription painkiller. So your alternative would be CBD. And, you know, if we were able to educate and have some good knowledge um, for our um, doctors and be able to say, you know, this is what I recommend, um, then that could be a, um, a route that we could go as far as an alternative treatment. Um, but one of the things is when you're uneducated about CBD dosage, the best way to do is start low and then see where your, your yeah. tolerance is and then where you, which uh, milligram dosage meets your need. I've heard that because of like the uniqueness of each individual that it is somewhat, can be challenging to like, it's a, it's a process. Mm -hmm. It's not just a simple like, here, take two of these every night right. before you go to bed, but it is a process to find out what the most appropriate dose is, depending on your ailment and whatever it is that you're trying to... To ease, and I think that's reflective of all Anything. substances. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. It, the, the the dosage and the substance is going to mm -hmm. vary by uh, the um, outcomes that's going to be for the patient, yeah. and the and the issue that's at hand. Yeah. It's not a blanket dosage for anybody and everybody. That's why they're selling five hundred milligrams, eight hundred, thousand milligram. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think about if you go to a state where it's medically legal or recreational legal, you walk. Um, you can walk into one of the clinics or one of the shops and you'll have a bud tender 
or um, you're pres- uh, recommending physician because I kept going, we, we discussed this, where they can't prescribe it, where it's a uh, cannabis, um, THC is still considered a controlled substance, um, a Schedule One controlled substance under the CSA. Um, it can be recommended. So I think it's, you know, it has to be clarified in terms of when we're talking about it to the public that you don't get a prescription, you get a recommendation yeah. uh, for use of it based on the element of your prescribing physician. And if you go out to some of these shops, that's where you have a bud tender. You have somebody kind of talk, you have somebody talk you through uh, the different strains. A professional at what they do. A professional at what they do who mm-hmm. can communicate to you, well, what, what, what issues do you have today? Oh, you have uh, Crohn's disease, you have uh, chronic pain, you have um, some other um, ailment that, okay, I'll recommend this hybrid, I'll recommend this sativa, I'll recommend this indica uh, for your, um, well, however you want to, and, and I'll recommend it in edibles, I'll recommend it in oil, I'll recommend it in this, and then you have that educational component going on when you have patients um, seeking. Did that stream pop back up? It popped back on. Can you, uh, okay. can we sync, like, uh, sync it to our phone? Do a hotspot? So it's not that, that works a little bit worse. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, have you guys visited any of the dispensaries out west or together yeah. anywhere just to check out like kind of how they operate? Prior to working for the tribal <laughs> government, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about other uh, reservations? Are there any other reservations doing this? Yeah, yeah. there's there's a number of them. <laughs> yeah. There's a number of them. Um, and how's it going? You're seeing it in states where it's recreation or medicinal right. legal. Right. Um, I think, you know, there are a couple, when I think of the tribes that I would point out, they're on the West Coast. Um, one of the, the most notable is in Nevada, just north of the Las Vegas Strip. The, um, oh, Paiute, Paiute. Yeah, the Paiutes, they have the largest dispensary per square footage in the nation. Um, so they're, you know, they're carrying a large amount of products. What you're seeing, though, are tribes getting into both production uh Cultivation and the sales, the process, and and so as this market's developing, the opportunity, um, like Jeremy pointed out, is that you know you can get into production, you can get into um, process, and you can get to the storefront. You can contain that entire um, growth to sale market within your um, operation, or if a tribe decides to do that, or else you might go after, you might consult with a grower, um, depending on your land base. If a tribe don't have good land, but are large enough land base, well, I'm going to go buy from this farmer. I'm going to go buy from this farmer and try to piece their products together. Um, there have also been some examples of that are great for us to follow and how not to do it. Um, the Flandry Santee Sioux is the most notable one that I kept going back to after 2014 in which uh, their tribal government le- um, approved a measure to legalize recreational marijuana and they were going to do this big uh, resort this big cannabis resort and heard about this I believe yeah and what it came down to as I understood it um, and I during my advocacy I reached out to the company that was doing the work with them <laughs> and was following along and said hey we're interested tell me how this goes with the tribe you're working with the state of North Dakota the question well, how'd you get that product here if it's illegal <laughs> and so they had never gone through the company that uh, the tribe was consulting with had never uh, appropriately develop their model to and, and work with in conjunction with the state and federal government to say, how do we get this product here? How did you get your clones here? Where did your seeds come from? Because interstate uh, commerce, trans- um, uh, the movement of it is illegal. So mm-hmm. where did this all come from? So they had to scrap their uh, idea. And then prior to the 2000, past, or I think right at the passage of the 2014 Farm Bill, um, there was one of the tribal colleges in the Michigan, Wisconsin area, I forgot what tribal college it was, um, they were 
acting under the auspice of the farm bill that said any land-grant institution could do a hemp research, a hemp pilot program like what we had here in the state. Although the 2014 farm bill didn't explicitly say tribal colleges qualified for that. And so the, the DEA rated that co tribal colleges a uh, hemp farm and cut it all down, or, you know, hemp crop and cut it all down. So there are good examples, and you're seeing it more so now. Again, you got 38 states with some form of legalization going on. So over half the union, and uh, the you know what's been recommended to us, and what you might see um, from RAG's office is that well, it's easier for tribes to act on this in states where it's already legal. For us, in a state where you have some level of decriminalization, but you don't have, and we have very very limited. Um, what is it, CBD law for this for North Carolina? That doesn't necessarily qualify us to act beyond that law, if that makes sense. One of yeah. the the um, <coughs> confusing parts of it now is, from a social media perspective, is I've, I've noticed over the course of this um, taking action on this is you see a lot of posts about, you know, the um, whenever under the Obama administration that it was subject to that Native Americans could grow and operate and sell mm. um, cannabis, you know, on the reservations. But whenever the new this administration came in and Jeff Sessions was the AG, then that was lifted. Ugh. So let's not even, right not even so talk it's, about it's, that. It's become a challenge because people, yeah. some people are still oh, under geez. the assumption that we are still able to do that, and we're not. Right. So it, it's 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 made things very difficult when it comes to that. But um, you know, you, you can you keep hearing about the possibility of him lifting that ban. That's it to come. Um, We'll, we'll we'll see. And also with an, an upcoming election the election cycle, is, yeah. Who's, in, who's but within a year from now, who's Jeff Sessions? <laughs> I wonder, Obama. Um, was it Sally Yates? No, Sally Yates was. Yeah, she was. I can't recall. I can't remember the name. I didn't study up on that. <laughs> <laughs> we just knew the memorandum was was yeah. for that, but. Uh, so um, who is Hempleton and like what are they? Hempleton what's is, the process uh, like? They're with them? they're one of the top organizations. The CEO's name is Justin Hamilton. How'd you get connected with them? So there's the hemp pharmacies in Asheville on Hendersonville Road, mm -hmm. and I'll need to back up on this one because to kind of get you leading up to that point. So I went to um, the the Res Conference in, in in Las Vegas. It's called the Reservation Economical Summit, and I was introduced to this group from Canada called Wahoop Ventures. And uh, Warren Cudney was the CEO of that of that group, and they have offices based in in Las Vegas, and so that's why they were at that conference. But they have they do deal with um, the Paiutes and, and other Native Native American tribes within the country. <coughs> but um, when I was introduced to them, that's kind of when this whole thing started. And Darnell Dinkins was he's I think he's now the business director for that group, but he was uh, a former NFL player for the Saints when they won the Super Bowl. And he played on that team, so me and him built a you know pretty good relationship during that time. And then I invited him to Cherokee to host the host the hint for him, and you can actually view that on the archive live streams on uh, ebci.com. And that was um, our first hint forum that we held um, to give the general public a chance to come learn about what exactly hemp is and what our initiatives were. Um, that's when things started, but they were more of a seemed to be more of a startup group. And we've had several people come come into the council chambers and give their presentation about, you know, what they're doing with CBD and why they're such a great group and we should partner with them and such. That that's cool, you know, but we're not looking from a small scale perspective. We're trying to look at beyond 
what can carry the tribe generations to come. Mm-hmm. So Hampleton, when I went and visited their store in um, in Asheville, I asked the um, the girl up front. I said, "Are you guys um, an LLC?" And they said, "Yes." And I said, "Well, we just established." And it was just the just a random conversation I started. It was just me, just a normal day, a normal Saturday, going, you know, just trying to check out the shop and see what kind of products they had. And, you know, we, we started this conversation and I said, well, we have a new established LLC board and we're looking for opportunities. And I said, do you think you guys would be interested? So this is kind of how the relationship started with them. And um, I took one of their cards and one of the um, guys there at that time um, in the store, Adam Puckett out of Asheville, he um, was starting a conversation with me. And then I got uh, linked up with um, Eric Stahl, who is, I believe the vice president of sales, but he's he came in last October for annual council, and that's when this um, feasibility study was initiated. And I just asked him to come down and uh, kind of give an expert opinion about what I was trying to talk about. And from that point, um, he said that he had everything that they could do as far as what we're trying to do, and um, they were very well established all across the state, and they had you know direct um, connections as far as the farm bill goes, and. Just they're they're very structured. They're very long term based. So the uh, actions that we're trying to get into this study, they're they're very well able to help. So that's the route that I was looking for, and to for our people to be familiar with their with their shops and stuff helps out a lot because there's already that prior relationship established that people know who they you know who that shop is, and once you start connecting the pieces, it it gets it gets a little better. So that's kind of how that relationship was formed, and. I want to add to you, I think they're also one of the first groups or one of the major groups in North Carolina that were leading the lobbying effort um, for uh, the pilot program and some of the other efforts that have been going on for years within um, the group. And another disclaimer, I had uh, worked with Rod Kite uh, with Composite Cannabis. Um, I met him at a normal meeting in Asheville, and we started some conversations and some dialogue. And uh, So, yeah, he's, they've been in the game for a while. I'm curious. What are y'all's thoughts on this? Since y'all invited us on, <laughs> <laughs> um, you getting us talking? Let me. I want uh, actually. I'll answer that in just a minute, Joey. Uh, I want to <laughs> hear about he the. Uh, to come over. He's gonna ask another question. <laughs> <laughs> Economic benefits, like the revenue it, it might generate. Well, what, um, what's that? What is that looking like? Depends because yeah. you know I, we have a study here that looks at the global market, the U.S. market, Canada market, and um, I got the executive summary. It's like a multi-hundred page you can buy. But uh, for the tribe, when we were looking at this, you had um, a couple different models you could look at and in, in employing here. Uh, one was a full-on recreational market to where part of the discussions we had with some attorneys and I would uh, in previous capacity would say that you could only have a recreational market on the boundary, and then you would run into what Colorado? You could we could as a tribe and with our geographically geographically defined boundary run into the same issue that Colorado did, in which you had a class action lawsuit from the states around Colorado saying, "Well, you're increasing our law enforcement uh, expenditures because we're yeah. busting so many people from being cannabis." Basically, we want a piece of that pie. We want yeah. a piece of some of that money. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And what you would see uh, speculation would have been that you'd see more um, county and state highway patrolment enforcement on our borders. Um, you know, just randomly setting up checkpoints to see what was going on. Yeah. And that class action lawsuit wasn't. You know, wasn't picked up by a Supreme Court. They basically said that's your that's your cost, that's your problem. It's your jurisdiction. With. It's your jurisdiction. Yeah. You deal with it. Um, so we looked at all. You know, that was that's one 
opportunity recreationally. You can have it on the boundary. It would have to stay on the boundary. One of the questions that came up from Snowbird is, well, how do we get access to it? When, mm. You know, that it was yeah. referencing medical or recreational. And I said, you probably won't. I mean, you can't, you can't buy it on the boundary and move it to Snowbird, so you'd have to consume it on the boundary. Uh, medically, we looked at two avenues. One doing, um, one model was to only have it available to enrolled members, so you'd have to go through this process where uh, it, because IHS couldn't legally recommend it or anything, you, you know, I was we were looking at the tribe actually having to, to do what some other states do. You you set up your own doctor's office and you have a prescribing uh, physician who can recommend that, and you go to your storefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it would only be available to enroll members. And then we added on to part of the discussion. Well, can we develop our own card carrying EDCI? system and honor the medical cards of other states and that's how you would look at generating some other revenue mm. especially with specifically with the tourism that comes into the casino the tourism that comes in you yeah. got folks coming from all across the nation potentially that uh, play uh, that are come to our gaming area and they want access to their medicine mm. and that's something that we were looking at providing um, so those are kind of the three models that we were looking at I don't know what this study I would assume that it would encompass where you know recommendations for how to act on it within IHS from our AG's office, recommendations for our own tribal code, um, what kind of structure would the business be in? Would it be a tribal model? Would you bring in? And we kept advocating for the gaming model in which you hired this third-party company to come in, such as Caesar uh, Entertainment through Harris, to, to do the entire business for us, seed the sale, storefront, and all that. Um, to me, that's the most appetizing. But then you also get pushback from community members say, well, this needs to be a tribal endeavor. Uh, it needs to be tribally owned, operating all this. Yeah, we don't have experience, you know. Yeah. So it would behoove us to, for us to dive into a business we don't have experience in. Well, look how well the casino went. Nobody doing that, right? I mean, yeah. you have brought somebody in to run that thing for us, and we well, did it well. You can answer his question now? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> man. I want to wait. You want to wait? <laughs> I'm going to wait a little bit longer. Well, you know, going back to gaming, when it was first initiated, you know, the public perception was that that was a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going back to the stigma issue, you know. How many I think that tribal council was unseated after that. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I made the comment during council one day. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board with this. You know, I said, guys, if you, if, you want, if you want to hear me out and learn how this all works, you know, fine. I said, but... If I have to risk my reelection, that's perfectly fine with me to get this going because I, I see the benefit of it. Um, but when we talk about economics, you know, gaming has thrived this this tribe for 20 years. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is when, when was gaming introduced? 20, 15, 20 years ago? 20 years ago. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. We how, had it prior to that, but our main casino was open in 96. Right. So how long... Do you guys believe that it took for that the shift in uh, acceptance from a third party operating the gaming before the general public really kind of accepted when the check started coming Except in? Or when, <laughs> when did <laughs> they get okay, back to the money a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, per, yeah. Well, it's it's not just per cap, but it's also the Jobs. amount of resources that we were yeah. able to. Mm-hmm. Caleb, did you go to the? Um, the first dinner they had at the casino, they invited in all the community members, and uh, it was before they opened the gaming floor, and there were two restaurants in there, and they invited in all enrolled members, and it was, you know, it was, you walked in, and it was lightning bolts and thunder, and, you know, I was probably like seven years old, and we got steaks and uh, seafood. I'm like, oh, that changed everybody's perception. <laughs> thick cloud of smoke. Yeah, thick cloud of smoke, and then the check started. I remember the first check was $595, first time I ever seen a $100 bill. 
uh, was after that first distribution. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of changed people's attitude. And you've seen it steadily increase, and we've kind of capped out in 2008 with the downfall. And Is there a model where they could, like, incorporate a per-cap type system into this model? Oh, absolutely. Where everybody could benefit from this financially? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's just how, how we go about that is going to be the, the issue because, you know, our, our tribe is for a level of inconsistency over time, we, we have, we're, we're far behind where we should be. Mm-hmm. So we're 10, at least a gener- or at least 10 years behind in terms of diversification. And that's because we, we've not thought outside the box. We've not had those tough discussions that we're having now. So there has to come a time when we start taking it seriously because just I had, you know, before this podcast started, you know, as of yesterday, Virginia assembly passed the ability for them to have gaming. And if it if it gets voted for, then there's a two hundred fifty million dollar project coming to Virginia in terms well, and two Bristol. And a, two and a half hours away or so. Yeah, right? it's just two right hours. over the. I mean, it's just right, right over, over the mountain. Is that with the Pamunkeys seeking that, or uh, I have to look at the article again. But it's going to be in the Bristol where the Bristol Mall's at. Mm. Oh wow! So it's just right next door, and then you know you've got Tennessee talking about legalizing gaming. You've got Georgia looking at the the industry. So we have an expansion with the convention center. And we do have a sister casino that has generated profits beyond um, projections, which is a good thing. But there's going to come a, a point where you're going to hit that J curve. And we're getting closer to the, the dipping point in that J curve. So, yes, the casino has done a lot for this tribe. But um, we, we've got to start looking for other avenues. And mm-hmm. when it turns to the economics, when we, when we discuss um, away from him, when we start discussing marijuana, one of my ideas for our LLC board is to um, purchase dispensary out west. And then that way we won't, even though it's recreationally not legal here in North Carolina, we can utilize the LLC board to purchase a dispensary and generate the profits back to the tribe. Seminoles are looking into in other states. Are they? What about the legalities of like transferring money and stuff? Is that all? Well, we can, um, we're looking at having our own credit union. Okay. So when you're talking about the FDIC, you know, that that's that's uh that's an issue in in its own, mm-hmm. but we are looking at the parameters of having our own bank. So we we can we can make it happen. Yeah. You also shared with me something that prior to starting tonight that I thought was just absolutely fascinating about the manufacturing of it and who can you go into that a little bit? Private Manu- private labeling. Stuff? Oh yes. Um, I thought that was brilliant. So dude. Hampleton, when I had discussions with Eric, was. Um, having the ability that you know we would grow our crop and then we can extract the the um, the CBD out of that and create our own white label products so that way we can generate our own products and have our own label on it and we can become a national brand. Know that? And that I mean, that's the way to go. You get your own. Joey's question. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about your future in politics and how to how to word it right. right. <laughs> you are. That's so hot in my book, right? He's yeah, he not is. answering my question. He is. Um, I know. Uh, I'd add to the point. The you know, looking at products, I worked with one of our own Cherokee farmers last year mm-hmm. to um, get onto the North Carolina a pilot program, get, uh, so that he could apply. Uh, grow his own crop and uh, he got an acre into the ground last year a little bit late but then the funny thing was right before um, it was harvest time on the variety that he selected and they had these big beautiful cola buds and you walked up to and it smelled like a little bit of a diesel smell on I mean it smelled like it it looked like it and so if you uh, when there's a lot of folks that walk the train tracks right there beside Gadula um, I went back the next week because I was really interested in keeping up with crop and went back. The, every, the entire crop was headed. All the cola buds were gone. 
so someone, you know, got hit. that's what we had ex- kind of expected. And that's what, uh, <coughs> the concern was across the state that security. part of it was security, but also how do you, you know, s- someone sees what looks like weed in the field, they're going to assume it's weed, yeah. even though it don't have that the THC in it that's going to get so you. So what you're saying is somebody's in some holler smoking some some uh, dirt bud that's not even well some, what was yeah, very some, disappointed. Yeah, somebody's very disappointed. <laughs> so what somewhere. was it again? What kind of It was it was it was hemp. It was just yeah. hemp. It yeah. wasn't okay. it wasn't it was THC. Yeah, I know, it was a back variety in of my, Kentucky. Back in our day, we've been chopping them things down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. Oh, <laughs> that looks like weed. Let's go get that and dry it out right quick. Yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. the first place for it to happen. I mean, it's it's happening in yeah. other places too, you know. They just they just don't know. It smells the same, it looks the same. With the programs, in, <laughs> with the programs in place, you'll have you know, proper security and other things that would pro- and education and stuff like that to know. One would hope. What, yeah. and so out of the pilot program, um, oh, yeah. what it required was that. What does Rick Youngblood have at his at the shop up there? I'm what is not it? sure. <laughs> he he's selling hemp flour in his shop. It's called Rick Youngblood. No, so, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. You went you went and checked it out, right? I didn't go there, but you I did? saw it posted yeah. on social media, but. Well, that's crazy. Now, I remember when I went to the hemp pharmacy uh, about a year, <laughs> about a year and a half ago. I walked in, and I, you know, I take CBD oil for uh, chronic lower back pain. And I walked in, and I looked, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is that?" And I seen a little uh, plastic glass jar with a magnifying glass on top. And I looked, and I said, "You know, I'm plain dumb. What is that? Oh, that's hemp. Are you sure? It looks like bud. Well, you know, it's the flower, and they go in the technicality. And I was plain dumb. Let them talk me through it, and I said. Yeah, we're selling bud in North Carolina. I don't care what anybody says. That, that's <laughs> bud right there, whether it has THC or not. Um, and again, I've talked to folks who have consumed the hemp bud that it may, uh, they may experience that high feeling, even though it has uh, no traceable THC, the less than, you know, the qualification of less than 0.3% THC, uh, but they still have experienced the maybe euphoric effect. But on um, most uh Experiences uh, from what I heard, it's a calming effect. Mm-hmm. You know, just to my anxiety. I have anxiety for the day, so I uh, smoked a bud, or they took some oil, or they ate a gummy, or whatever. See the difference. The difference there between that and, and marijuana is that, you know, I'll go to the the hemp pharmacy and I'll get what they call the froggies, and that's the, the gummies, mm-hmm. and they're sugar coated, but they have twenty five milligram and fifty milligram dosage. So, you know, I'll take a fifty milligram dosage and I'll get that calming effect, and they'll say specifically on the the wrapper, no THC. But you'll still get that calm, relaxed feeling, but you're cognitively functional. So you can still you operate. You can drive. I can drive, yeah. you uh-huh. know, versus. That's weak. I'm on 100 milligrams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can drive and function throughout the mm-hmm. day, you know. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting. And that's uh, CBD? That's CBD, yes. So tell me, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Tell me about CBD. So there's, so, you know, it, I was listening uh a podcast, different podcast, and it was you know one of the things I wanted to highlight in our discussion tonight was that uh, there's hemp oil, which <coughs> is oil uh, oil that's expressed from the seed, and then there's CBD oil that is acquired from the buds. Uh, and so CBD is just one cannabinoid, and uh, over out of 113 identified cannabinoids that you'll find in a cannabis plant. And I also want to make that point about that one of the um, efforts to uh, dispel the stigma is to constantly say cannabis, not marijuana, yeah. not yeah. weed. And so that you refer to the plant. Language. Language. It's very important. That's yeah. how propaganda yeah. works. Is I repeat it and I repeat it and I repeat it and you regurgitate it or you take it or whatever. And so um, when you're looking at that, I'll, I'll let Jeremy go into because he's been advocating well, I mean, I more just, recently. I just, I, I just wrote down a few cannabinoids before I got in here. And, um, cannabinoids. Wait. Cannabinoids. Cannabinoids. Did I say that right? 
Yes, he did. Kayla's brain just <laughs> spinning. I was going to confuse it for a second. <laughs> no. No, but there's, you know, everybody's familiar with THC and CBD. Um, but when you break down what their components are, if I was to give somebody um, either of the two, if they had, you know, a lot of anxiety, I would provide them CBD before I provide them THC because of the psychoactive effect of THC. But with THC, if I was to give it to a cancer patient, it would help them eat. Versus if I was to give them CBD, it would suppress their appetite. So that's one of the, 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 the things that I try to talk to people about when it comes from a medical point of view is when we had some cancer patients in my community and they would utilize marijuana for them to be able to eat. Um, and I had someone question me about, can I go to the hemp pharmacy and get me something that's going to help me eat? I said, well, it's not going to help you, really help you eat. It's, it's CBD, so it's going to suppress your appetite because it controls your ghrelin hormone. Um, but there's also CBC, there's THCU, there's CBN, CBG, C and there's, there's just different components to it that a lot of people don't understand. And you know, I wrote down some things of what they're what they're good for. And THCU, which is you know associated with THC, will help with type two diabetes. And that's one of the things that we, as Native Americans, constantly battle. Um, CBD is actually helpful for those um, dealing with Hep C treatment. And when we discuss uh, matters with the syringe exchange program, this could be something beneficial for that program to provide for them for informational purposes. So, you know, that, that program um, helps combat the hep C epidemic. So CBD can help play a part of that as far as treatment goes. Mm. Um, THC, from a marijuana perspective, um, it fights free radicals, um, suppresses your nerve damage. Um, I had a, a gentleman who, um, in another community, um, had a surgery on his foot. But he took marijuana to suppress that nerve damage that happened to his injury or into his foot injury, and uh, it was he he'd rather take that than risk the addiction that could come from a painkiller, very strong painkiller. Because if he went the route of painkillers, he would have had to use a very high dose to suppress that pain. Versus marijuana, which is a natural substance, was able to curb that pain and him not having to be addicted. So, you know, those are components that we that I try to you know, educate people on, um, there's, there's just so much benefit to it, but it's this educational piece. Yeah. And it all varies. I want to bring up something that I had discussed is, you know, in the history of, uh, cannabis and that I find this to be a very, uh, interesting fact is that the United States of America as represented by the department of health and human services, our own, um, Department uh, entity of the, of the federal government applied uh, for a patent uh, on cannabis as a neuroprotectant. That's cannabinoids as a neuroprotectant. So I'm going to read you the first two sentences of the abstract here to bring in the context. So cannabinoids have been found to have antioxidant properties unrelated to the MMDA receptor antagonism. This newfound property makes cannabinoids useful in the treatment and prophylaxis of a wide variety of uh, oxidation-associated diseases, such as uh, ischemic, age-related, inflammatory, and autoimmune diseases. Um, what I find most interesting about this is that our own federal government had a patent on cannabinoids and uh, applied for it, and I think it was 2001-2003 uh, when it was awarded, and I think they sold it in 2009, or it was released in 2009. And so you look at the history around the research around it, and um, the benefits uh, with various cannabinoids, the different methodologies of uh, consumption or deployment to the body, 
know, you go, look, you can look to, we have to look to other countries, and that's where a lot of my research was in college, was always, always, inter- where is the research coming from? And when you look at two countries in particular, three, Canada, um, the Netherlands, and Israel, um, they've been doing research, and Israel's, I think, one of the first countries to do uh, clinical trials with humans. Um, in the United States, we weren't doing that. Uh, and so it's, I find it odd, too, that we have this country that uh, we support on the uh, world stage so ardently um, that is the, on the forefront of cannabis research, and yet we're playing backseat mm-hmm. to it and not even paying attention um, until recently, until you know the last 15, 20 years uh, because of that. But I think the effects that Jeremy's talking about, you know, it varies from patient to patient. It uh, depends the base, uh, based on the delivery system. It depends based on the dosage, the variety. And those are um, answers coming to those through, you know, clinical trials that are going on now in the United States that we finally got around to. Um, the United States government was obtaining all of its um, cannabis product for research. Because I think in the 80s, uh, it was because of AIDS, um, AIDS wasting syndrome, um, they were targeting AIDS patients to be part of a program and other, maybe other qualifying factors uh, to be part of a long-term study. And I think there's like three or four uh, people still left alive that are part of this um, government program to look at the effects of cannabis consumption. And all that was coming out of the University of Mississippi. And uh, one of our own attorneys went to Ole Miss and said, yeah, there was this um, chain link fence and you look over there, there's cannabis plants and you, you find folks taking uh, maybe sickle, time to a rope, try to go over there and uh, rope them a plant. <laughs> you know. And so, but that's where most of that was coming from. And I was reading um, uh, an article last year saying the US, uh, United States government is seeking uh, farmers across the country, cannabis cultivators, uh, for that product. They have a quota they got to meet um, for the you know, necessary poundage to conduct their, their um, research trials. And so, it, you know, it, we're all moving there. Uh, a lot of the studies up through the 90s focus on the negative effects of cannabis, and we're just now getting around to trial studies, and you're looking at some of these. Um, this is a, you know, the, one of the reports out of Colorado that was mandated by the legalization uh, of it uh, requires the state to look at health concerns and monitor the health um, pr- certain parameters as the uh, program is there. What are the negatives? Is that what you get? There are none. There are none. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking, but it's all pros, no cons. Well, it's funny. I look at so when you look at uh, legalization in Colorado, um, one of the I don't know how to phrase this, but uh, one of the um, legal system statistics was that citations for cannabis use went down by ninety nine percent. So when it's legal, you're no longer citing for it. Uh, you know, go figure. You you can put those resources elsewhere. The um. <laughs> The only real cons I've, I've heard of, and I don't necessarily know, you know, how um, how true it is, but like the only real cons um, that I am aware of is in in, in specifically cannabis use, THC cannabis, is individuals who are prone to mental health disorder, specifically schizophrenia. Um, consumption of high doses of cannabis can influence a psychotic episode meaning like if you have a say a family history of schizophrenia your you know schizophrenia tends to happen in males um in their early 20s so say you're a male with a family history of schizophrenia maybe have had some experiences in your lifetime some traumatic experiences and things like that and you're kind of like a 
air quotes candidate for potentially um, potentially experiencing schizophrenia, high consumption of cannabis can kind of like catapult what was what they don't know yet because like the research isn't quite there, but what could have already kind of happened or kind of gone down, you know, you might've had it either way, one way or the other, this kind of just tends to kind of like put the spotlight on it. I think looking at this study, that's a lot of, you know, maybe, may lead to this. Yeah, they don't. You don't really know. Um, I I would say going back to kind of the um, beginning of this conversation is it's going to affect people differently Mm -hmm. based on the dosage and uh, how it's consumed. And that was a big, you know, well, You've seen an increase in visits to the emergency rooms in Colorado in the initial years of legalization, um, and probably rightly so because you get a legal uh, a substance that was once illegal, now legal, and you go wild on it, and maybe you've never consumed it, and you're not familiar with how to mm-hmm. um, address that. Kind of like when we t- uh, talked about folks that are coming off of um, heroin or any other drugs, like you know, you go into rehab or they. Uh, experience a lapse where they're not used and they go back to the same dosage and that's how you end up with an overdose, um, uh, maybe a, a fatal overdose. Uh, so in the early years, uh, when you look at states where there's cannabis legalization, yeah, you do see some detrimental societal, um, some, not money societal, some detrimental effects, but I think that goes back to education. Yeah. And you look at D.A.R.E., which was uh, a largely unex- unsuccessful program. Epic failure. Uh, epic failure. <laughs> Nancy Reagan's just say no. You know, we're we're just now in the generations of changing our mantra. I mean, I, we grew up with hearing that as kids, and it's kind of like, I didn't believe it then, and I don't believe it now, but mm-hmm. as, a, as a mature adult and have, you know, understanding the, the issues a little bit better, it's going to affect people differently. And that's one of the things that, I was, that just kind of, like, hit me in having this conversation talk about the data and all this stuff is that like, if we can reflect back, we're all in our what? Thirties. How old are you? Thirties. We're all in our thirties. You know, when we were kids and when we were growing up, like none of this stuff, there were, people wouldn't even be having this conversation. No. Right. Like it wouldn't, we would be like, um, frowned upon and, and judged for having this conversation. You're just a stoner. You're just a stoner <laughs> dude that wants your butt. And so here we are like having a conversation with the data that supports it. Um, both like, from a physiological and psychological point of view to a financial point of view, like looking at, so like it takes, it takes time for shifts in, you know, it's not something that can happen. Like, but that's sad. It is. Again, I go back to major head. Yeah. But that's 80 years ago, 80 years of propaganda. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll, and so in 20 years, we've kind of like come a long way. I'll say I'll, um, I'll revisit a piece of advice that was given to me during um, this initial advocacy group with Common Sense Cannabis and from, from one of my in-laws. And uh, it was after, I think, to, we went to council and he watched it and he said, uh, we were at, on the front yard. And he goes, well, Joey, you know, I, um, I see what you're doing there. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But uh, you're going to have to wait about 10 to 15 years to get that done. And I said, you know, what, what do you mean by that? I don't know what he's meaning. He said, well, you're going to have to wait for my generation to die. And I said, well, two things about it. One, I'm patient. We'll wait for you to die. And I said, <laughs> two, I said, why do we have to wait for you to die? Why are you teaching me the stubbornness uh, mm-hmm. for you sitting on your, um, standing your ground on an issue that uh, is going to change when you die, when this entire generation, you know, we, we become that older generation. There's going to be an issue we're going to fight a younger generation on. But I think for the conversation around cannabis and this history as we're going through um, uh, the laxing of our laws and it become more socially acceptable and uh, it's creating a, you know, a burgeoning industry for the United States. Um, you're going to 
the generation it's a generational shift that we're watching. Yeah. Yes, it is slow. It, it is. It sucks. But like, think about it. Like, I don't know if it. I don't remember specifically. It was either Nixon or Reagan, and the, in those times when they were starting those wars on war on drugs, um, the national polling. I think it was a Gallup poll or something. The national polling was about thirty percent mm-hmm. for and seventy percent against. And currently, we're at seventy percent for. <laughs> and so it's like taking like thirty, thirty-five years for that. It's, that's significant change, man. That's where the biggest increase of uh, new users are: the baby boomers. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you grew up in the sixties, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, counterculture, yeah. smoking. But now you're retired. You just want to enjoy life a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They're, just, you know, going to cannabis. Yeah. I, Give an example. I was uh, at a Christmas event um, for our senior citizens, and I had one come up to me. Um, it wasn't marijuana, but um, she walked up to me and she said, "Are you the one that's pushing this uh, cannabis thing?" And I said, "Yes, that's me." And she goes, "Well, I just wanted you to know that I that I use CBD for my spinal stenosis." Mm. And I said, "Okay." And she says, "Well, I use that so I don't have to use my prescription medication because I'm scared I'm gonna get addicted." And so you're you're talking to somebody in their 60s, 70s that's opening up to this, and it's starting to occur more rapidly. Um, <coughs> but then you know we, we go back to um, the educational piece, and <coughs> the unfortunate thing about um, human nature is that we tend to react at the most um, negative times. We we wait for something bad to happen mm-hmm. before we react. Because we're under the assumption that we're going to be okay, and, and that's not going to happen. We we don't want it to happen. So now we've we've come to the precipice of the op- opioid epidemic. Fentanyl's starting to make its entrance in, into our society. So, and you've got car car fentanyl coming up, and to understand the damage of that is unreal. Um, I believe, if I'm thinking correctly, that fentanyl is a hundred times more powerful than morphine. Yep. Carpet note is 10,000 times more powerful than morphine to the point where you don't even have to worry about addiction to carfentanil. You're going to be dead by that point. And that is, but your, your craving for a high is so strong that you've adapted to the heroin. You've adapted to cocaine. You've adapted to fentanyl to the point where you, your body just naturally craves something stronger. And then when carfentanil makes its entrance in, there's no there's no telling how many you know episodes we're going to see with with overdoses and uh it it's it's just a matter of time before we have to push the panic button and we're almost there so what this um, feasibility study is going to show is that this is a route to combat that this is an alternative option that we can use to bat at chronic pain because what a lot of what and you know correct me if i'm wrong caleb that a lot of um so I put a commentary out where I'm not, I don't call people addicts, but I've seen uh, that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we we should. Um, people in recovery, or just um, those who have went down this path, um, that they, that they that they deal with a lot of chronic pain, mm-hmm. and this is an alternative option for them to um, choose something that's not going to make them addicted. It's not going to destroy their body, but it's going to bring relief and. Uh, if we don't do that, then we're, we're I, I don't even want to imagine what's what's going to occur 10, 20 years from now. We've got to use all the tools at our disposal yeah. is where we're at now. Are there studies that show that um, states where medical is legal, that like the use of psych meds, SSRIs and stuff like that has gone down? Are they using 
<clears throat> cannabis or CBD as an alternative to some psych meds in, in places? You're seeing the trend um, and what's cited in that um, Colorado report, uh, report from Colorado was that in states where you have medic, uh, medical program and access to medical cannabis, you're seeing a reduction in opioid abuse okay. uh, cited up okay. to like 25%. And that's where uh, part of um, changing the language is that it's you know, cannabis should not be looked at as a gateway drug, but in this, uh, the sense of using it as an alternative treatment, it's offering drug from harder drugs yeah. because rather than completely detoxing and, and, and causing someone, um, you know, going through withdrawals, threatening their, their health and their harm even more, uh, give them a substance that can be, uh, controlled and that will alleviate some of the symptoms as they're coming off a harder drug without the like extreme side effects of so many of the medications that are out there now. Right? I would love to speak with someone who has used cannabis as part of that, yeah. uh, their program to get off something harder. I'll tell you, like, um, my experience tells me, and I was like that typical guy, like growing up, like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going to smoke forever, dude. I just, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was the, the stoner. Like it was just, it was just, you know, it, it, um, just alleviated so much of that, like chatter, that internal chatter. It mm -hmm. like really alleviated, alleviated that, that discomfort and that internal chatter. And like, before I found recovery, um, when I would get in trouble, right? When I would get arrested and get put on probation, I would try to get my shit together, right? And I would like try to like, okay, I gotta like, I gotta stop partying so much. And I would smoke, you know, regularly. And that would like, throughout those times, that would keep me out of trouble. It would get me back on my feet for a short period of time. Then I'd start drinking again. And the drinking led to other hardcore drugs and it was just a cycle and then i get in trouble again and i go back to cannabis I and mean, i was smoking throughout the whole time but like consistently when i would try <clears> to <throat> stop using amphetamines when i would try to stop using cocaine i would smoke cannabis and it would work for that intermittent period of time six months eight months close to a year and then alcohol would lead me back to Back to those types of drugs. Rob, are you, are you ready? Are you co-signing cannabis right now? I'm co-signing, yeah. I totally get it, yeah. I mean, I just threw it over you to answer the question. I've had my answer. You still haven't answered my question, <laughs> I which I wanted to, you know, I'd be interested to hear since we have uh, a timeline together from uh, partying at a very young age, rolling big old fatties and having a good time to <laughs> you, you found recovery now, and I, I support you in that. And, you know, we're, I, you know, we're in an effort to, um, you know, we're, we're in a, a matured, we've matured to mm -hmm. support, you know. Okay. <laughs> I got your back, brother. I got your back. Man. Yeah. Come on. I got you. So y'all, y'all just y'all bear with me. Record I'm, this. I'm trying to work through. I'm trying to work through all this right now. First of all, I want to say that um, obviously I don't smoke. You know, I don't. I'm proud that I don't have to use any kind of substances now. You know, I have my own my own pathway to recovery and uh, a spiritual pathway. You know diet, exercise, all those things. So I'm, I'm blessed to not have to use any substances. Now, with that being said, um, hearing all these benefits of cannabis and everything and, and seeing it all, it all boils down to like the greater good. You know, what's the greater good of this thing? Like, look at what we're dealing with right now as far as the uh, opioid epidemic. Um, look at the benefits of this uh, financially, economically, all those things. I mean, I just, I just see way too many benefits for. I mean, I, I support it as well. 
Uh, what I would say he is that answer my question. Yeah, he didn't. What I would say is that. Well, like, go ahead. What was your question again? Again, like it's not a blanket drug, like we talked about. Yeah. Like you go to the doctor for anxiety; they're going to prescribe <laughs> you an, something to treat your anxiety, right? And so, like, it's not a blanket drug that I would say everybody should consume. However, I do think that there are um, extreme benefits for many people. So, like, do the benefits outweigh the? negative effects and so, i would say absolutely they would um me being somebody in recovery i'm in a place like i've done five almost five years worth of s- solid internal work to get to a point in my in my life where i wouldn't need i would ch- want to choose not to need a mind-altering substance what could could cbd benefit me absolutely in different aspects of my life with my recovery from my fitness and from working out and things like that um, even to potentially sleep, stuff like that. Um, if cannabis was legal, just like alcohol is legal, I, I can leave here and pick up a six pack at any one of these breweries down the road, but I'm not going to do that because I don't, I know where that road leads me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't put, I mm-hmm. wouldn't, if there was a dispensary down the road, I again, wouldn't go and purchase cannabis, but I, I would, you know, personally see the benefits of CBD. However, the people who are coming off of opiates or I do see medicinal benefits of cannabis and should it be legal? I mean, I don't, I don't, should it be illegal? I mean, I think that the data shows the history of mass incarceration and Mm -hmm. things like that shows that like, there's no reason why it's illegal. You know, like I don't, I think it is a campaign of harm reduction. It is. Oh, totally. It is less harmful. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, we get into debating about the foods and um, beverages that we drink about. Well, you know, I could, uh, drinking a whole bunch of soda, sugary soda, soda drinks are just as bad as um, some other drugs uh, yeah. in a different way for my body. And so this is a campaign of harm reduction to make sure th- to work towards having all tools at our disposal mm-hmm. uh, for combating this issue and ensuring that there are alternative medicines um, that have been around for thousands and thousands of years available to um, patients. Yeah, and something that I was talking to Jeremy about, I think before you arrived, is that like, there should be no barriers to the best possible care for an individual, right? So like if somebody is going through chemo and stage four cancer, like they shouldn't have to jump all, through all these hoops to ease some of that pain, to take some cannabis to be able to eat. You know what I mean? Like they should have access to, we as we live in like the most prosperous nation in the world, there shouldn't be barriers to the best possible care just because there's this stigma around cannabis that's been there for a hundred years. Um, you know, that's, that's not a, that's not a justifiable excuse to me. I think that's a whole nother podcast on the system <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. and looking at you know, rewriting part of the system and um, help, you know, and that's what we're doing now with cannabis laws mm-hmm. is it gets to the heart of the system and you can go look at a um, opposition campaigns in States where it's legal and, it, you know, uh, what you look into is uh, alcohol, um, alcohol companies, alcohol-based companies fighting legalization yeah. because uh, part of some of the, the data coming out of Colorado is that you've seen us, you know, a drop, a noticeable <laughs> reduction in uh, alcohol consumption because and cannabis is available. Yeah. Also, like pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies hmm. probably are fighting, uh, fighting yeah. against it. Even probably like even it. big tobacco probably oh, yeah. lobbying. What was your question, Joey? <laughs> Can we rewind that with two of them? I think it was the <laughs> same thing. Um, let's get into like. let's get into like we talked a little bit about cbd but let's get into like you know what purpose does it serve who is it applicable to like what what are some of the the medicinal qualities of cbd i've heard things like 
uh, massive reduction in inflammation, right? Like we as American citizens tend to like not eat the healthiest food and inflammation tends to be like a a serious um, issue for many individuals, people who consume mass amounts of alcohol, you know, um, I hear that, that CBD is just like an amazing, um, reduction helps with the reduction of inflammation. Um, what other benefits are there to CBD? Like who, who is the consumer of CBD? Well, I would say I would speak to cannabis as a whole and based on when you look at break it down to CBD and there, you know, there are other products and I think there's research going to, um, isolating out, you know, they isolate out CBD oil, but then there are four full spectrum, um, CBD oils or full spectrum hemp products. Uh, when you look at the medicinal benefits and how it's going to impact certain conditions, so um, it, inflammation across the body uh, it impacts that. I, yeah, I take it. So, from like, a, so like somebody like Caleb who's running fifty miles on the weekend, recovery, help with inflammation and lubricant yeah. uh, for your joints. If you have stomach issues, it's been shown to reduce. Um, uh, pain and issues associated with Crohn's disease, uh, PTSD, um, not, ne- not necessarily so much CBD, but cannabis use for uh, treating PTSD, whether that be from war, uh, domestic, um, whatever event in your life has caused that. Uh, I mean, I feel like the list is so extensive, and yeah. it varies by state, too, mm-hmm. um, with what can be um, sought after for a medical program. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Like, um, there's, Is there currently regulation on CBD, like what they're selling down the road at, you know, whatever gas station behind the counter with this on a CBD label or next door over here at the, at the vape shop that has a CBD label. Is there any type of regulation on by the FDA or whoever that's like, are are they serving me what they say they're serving me? Is that, that's the issue with, uh, legalization is that the quality controls um it, for a good part of uh i would say the early teen 2000s um with any program you have to rely on that company that is making that product you have to take them at their word when you look at uh, quality controls uh, going through um, fda epidiolex was mm-hmm. is the first uh, fda approved um cannabis based drug that can be used to treat um seizures um, across uh, patients um what the for food products and this um, there was a letter issued by guidance from the FDA to the states and I think North Carolina sent it out to um, folks on the pilot program or uh, storefronts such as um, it, it, across Asheville was that if they had a product that was edible they should pull it from, from their shelves because under the farm bill those policies and guidelines through the FDA haven't been administered yet. And so if you're selling gummy bears with CBD oil, CBD oil in it, um, well, you always see that little label on the back, well, this statement has not been evaluated by the yeah. FDA. You're selling a food product as well, so those haven't been met those quality control standards. Um, as for the oils and whatnot, uh, and and uh, Rick Youngblood. Youngblood. Yeah. In these products, you know, it's um, these guidelines are being developed uh, with the outset of 2018 <laughs> Farm Bill, but there are recommendations that have been uh, solicited out to um, storefronts across the state. So, like, es- essentially, <clears throat> as it stands right now, if somebody was to seek out CBD, um, it would probably be best to 
check out one of these established. You would want to go to somebody that perhaps yeah. does th- third parties. Not testing. a convenience store or well, vape as shop. Well, this year, you're looking at Walmart across the street. Yeah. To get into the city. I saw like hemp stuff over oh, there. They, are, already. Yeah. they have hemp stuff already. Well, hmm. let's say everybody's selling. There's, yeah. you know, it, there's a flush into the market yeah. to make a product and say, well, this is, uh, this is CBD this, CBD that. But where's the evaluation? Where are the test results? Uh, who's doing the quality control on these products? And um, what the guidance kind of stated from North Carolina was that, well, the market was there. The regulatory capacity is now catching up. Yeah. You both have referenced this 2014 farm bill multiple times tonight. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of talk about what that was? And So the 2014 farm bill, 2018 just was passed uh, December 18th of December. Okay. Um, 2014 was the first farm bill that authorized uh, pilot programs for hemp research um, with, in states that are associated with their land-grant institutions. And I think it was the... Uh, it only, again, it didn't mention 1994 land grant institutions, which are uh, tribal colleges, but it did allow for 1890s, which are uh, HBCUs, Historic Black College Universities, and then uh, your um, 62 land grant universities. Uh, so research could be conducted, and for example, the North Carolina pilot program, you had thir- you know, there were 13 different qualifications that you could apply for a permit. So you were doing for research for this, or you're looking for um pesticide fertilizer any any kind of any research you had to be meet one of those searching qualifications and so that's what the 2014 farm bill did the 2018 farm bill went a step further and legalized hemp and i if i recall correctly that was an amendment to the controlled substance act to delineate hemp as not being associated with uh, thc and that part of cannabis um so now it's you know, again, it, it's a Does rush. I mean, anybody can just grow hemp on their land? North Carolina is still going to have require um, that farmers be licensed. Okay. I went to a workshop that was put on um, by um, North Carolina State in Macon County last month, and they were discussing with farmers about the um, pending regulations. Um, How do you get licensed? You have to be a certified farmer. Um, you have to have your um, schedule F. Caleb, you're not a farmer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they wanted for me. That's why they had these parties regulations there. Is saying, well, oh, hell, I'm Joe Blow. I want to go grow, yeah. hemp, you know, give me some seed. Um, <laughs> you have to be, you have to file, have filed your schedule F on your 1040 as an individual farmer. Uh, it could be S Corporation, a C Corporation. Caitlin, you taking notes down there? Uh, it's all online. You go look at uh, North Carolina um, Industrial Hemp Association or North Carolina Hemp Pilot Program. Um, uh, you had to be one of four qualifying um, factors to get a license. And then you had to have that license uh, to purchase seed. So prior to some, so in the 2017 pilot program here from North Carolina, you, if you were to get seed from out of the country, then you had to get a DEA importer's license for that seed. Um, there was also some language that had to be reworked to get seed from other states that had pilot programs. Um, last year, the farmer I worked with got seed, uh, acquired seed from um, a company out of Kentucky uh, without needing, you know, the language had been amended so that he could transport that seed here. But he had to have his license to show to a, a distributor to purchase seed. How is the, the CBD derived from these hemp, the hemp plants? Uh, different extraction methods. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, shoot. Supercritical uh, CO2 extraction, high and low temperatures there. Um, there is, um, oh shit. I was thinking if like these guys, if these all like, if these cats can figure out how to like 
manufacture meth in their trailer like they, <laughs> yeah, right? they could probably figure out how to do that too there's right? some low tech ways to, yeah. to um you can uh, you're looking at a distillation process you're looking at this supercritical co2 process you're looking at extraction uh using um damn it's not butane sorry lost my mind um ethanol or something? ethanol extraction yeah. sorry thank you um what i've seen is most efficiently are supercritical co2 extraction yeah. uh for this and then um, it can, you know, those conna uh, cannabinoids can be isolated down to just where you have uh, certain terpenes out of it. You have certain cannabinoids out of it. Uh, the science behind it is... Pretty, watch, watch some YouTube videos. Pretty technical. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah, cool. that, that's yeah. uh, the, one of the biggest reasons why I decided to partner with Templeton because they can, they can take care of pretty much all of that and help us learn how to... Um, do all that and then one day that we can take on this industry as a tribe but at this time we're not we're not capable of doing that at this time um, so it, it's a very complicated process to um, not only uh, learn the system but how to, how to utilize it so it's good to have an established partner that has a very um, strong record attached that they can um, help us help educate us on how this industry works um, but at the same time, get us get us going. Um, <clears throat> if we um, fully partner with them, we can have a uh, we we can look to have this going by next year in 2020. That's what, that was my next question: yeah, is like, what's line. next? What what is where do you see this going? We're, we're still the... working on a timeline for how this whole thing is going to work. Um, that's what we're working with Rod on right now. Uh, we're we want to schedule a time to go down to uh, Wilmington, which is where they originally established, to uh, see how their operations work. And um, I'll be actually going visiting Raleigh tomorrow, um, hoping to meet up with Eric and kind of go over some things, um, discuss the, uh, stuff with our state lobbyist, our state lobbyist on um, his side of the fence with with the state. And um, there is some, there's still a lot more wiggle room in the General Assembly now uh, than there ever has been. Um, but we are um, going to have the discussions um, probably in the next couple of days. So just tell it, them we're behind Oklahoma. We can't. We're that. behind a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what is it with Oklahoma we're doing it they're doing it we're not <laughs> yeah it's it's one of the most conservative states and you know for them to have passed medical marijuana was it was um I actually had a discussion with uh, some members of Cherokee Nation and it's you know there's still there's a lot of uh, skepticism there with when it comes to cannabis and it really surprised me a little bit but um I think we might have one of the discussions too there's a councilman from there that I've been talking with uh, for several months now about this, so maybe we can officially get this going, conversation going with them. What was their path? How did they did they go along, along the same lines that you're doing through like a, a justifiable research company and Cherokee Nation or Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. I think it was a ballot measure. Ballot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cherokee so Nation. That was, they, are they picking it up? Are they trying to do the same thing? There's. Um, I just had a very brief conversation with uh, a member from this past uh, um, trip to DC. NCI and they just brought the conversation but I've been in discussion with one other council member uh, I think he's from UKB but um, United Kaduba Band uh, which is like a, a partner tribe with the Cherokee Nation but um, he's interested in the, in the hemp industry and you know they got a lot of flat land out there so they got the benefit of, of land out there so we just it's, it's an educational matter again um, going back to uh, one of the things I was going to point out you know your your take on the CBD. There's a lot of benefit of it, but there's also going to be a trend of bad mixing in with the good, because Coca-Cola is now looking to infuse their products no with 
cannabis. What? That's that's the route that they're wanting to go. So when you when you tell somebody about you know the benefits of CBD and they're looking at Coca Cola now, it's like oh hey you know this 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 Coke's healthy now. So but you're you're still battling with the the high rates of sugar. Um, but that that's that's been one of the trend, trending headlines. Is Philip Morris was yeah, uh, work, yeah working on a project called Marlboro uh, M Green Marlboro, Marlboro Green, Green is what it was yeah so they were looking at packaging um, cannabis cigarettes yeah. and, <laughs> and see like um, you know the hemp pharmacy they have pre rolls pre roll yeah. joints of and, CBD uh, yeah hemp and, hemp flower yeah, hemp flower yeah, yeah. hemp flower but um, you know this is this has uh, been proven to help and I don't know how you feel about it Joey but this has been proven to help um, those who are smokers wanting to quit smoking. Smoking cannabis smoking cigarettes. or smoking cigarettes? Smoking cigarettes. cigarettes. <coughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But it, it's, it's, it's able to give you, because a lot of people, they resort to cigarettes for the, the common effect, you mm-hmm. know, the, but you got the nicotine issue. So CBD is, is able to offer that same common effect without the addiction like you would with cigarettes. Like how many people in recovery smoke cigarettes Shh. like freight trains? I mean, it's just enormous percentage. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to some, you know, they say, you know, I've, I've smoked a joint, you know, here and there. And it's just, it's just helped me calm me down, mm-hmm. you know. But again, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, smoking the product or utilizing the product, not just smoking it, you know, you have to be careful about your dosage because. Um, what can happen if you take too high of a dose? It just depends. Are we talking about marijuana? Are we talking about CBD? Either one. What's well, some of I, the? What's some of the? Well, I would say too, to, to <coughs> you know, the context of how cannabis or CBD, uh, the research behind it is looking at the negative effects and and, and the beneficial effects. Um, you know, th- those studies are ongoing. Um, some of the states, for example, Colorado, you know, they're looking at more um, like uh, the. The limited evidence or limited data that they have to make sense of all this, um, some of the things that are professed to be the benefits are all it could be anecdotal um, evidence, and that's where you see support uh, and you hear politicians, elected officials come out and say, "Well, how can I deny someone who says cannabis helps them for whatever ailment, and I have to believe them, you know?" And so I'm going to fight for that right. And but you know that, that that was something I was always told growing up to you know when the research is well, what's anecdotal and then mm-hmm what has been uh, peer-reviewed and yeah. has gone through the rigorous refe- um, rigorous uh, clinical trials, what has gone through those peer-review studies. Um, we're seeing, that again, some of the, a lot of the good studies, a lot of the studies I would point to to show those effects, not good, studies I would point to have come from other countries, and so now our own healthcare system and the federal government are conducting them here in the United States. So you get the data back from Hempleton, and you'll decide which avenue to pursue this with the tribe? Is that kind of the it idea will behind? Be, um, if council favors the study, the results of the study, then we will look to partner with them and get this officially rolling. Gotcha. Next year, a year down the road? How, what do you think? The, the plan is to get this, um, the growing phase started in next year. Okay. That'd be, that would be what we would want to seek. And that speaks to the infrastructure needs, the capital mm-hmm. to invest into your equipment, to what your farmland is going to be. Are you contracting with farmers, processing equipment? I mean, it's an entire, it's it's, it's a huge industry. And um, in North Carolina, there are, are only two processors, three processors, if I last recall correctly. And, um, you know, Asheville being a hotbed for progressive movements, um, companies like Hamilton looking to contract with farmers in this area or down in the Piedmont. There was a, um, a big uh, influx of, 
outside outside the state investors um, at the time of our initial uh, pilot program to come in and start doing some initial contracting for 100 acres, 500 acres, 1,000 acres, um, so they can grow a uniform product so that uh, companies can produce a product that's going to be consistent across uh, the life that they sell it or if it, you know, formula changes. Um, there's a it's very complex. It's, it's beyond when I was yeah. growing up. Like I said, I'm a stoner. I'm going to smoke till I die. And it ain't not going to affect me. And, um, it's the best medicine ever, dude. You're crazy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, a lot of maturing has taken place amongst yeah. all of us here. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's, you know, it's very interesting to be at this point where we can have a conversation and people are interested in, um, as it relates to uh, how it impacts folks in recovery, uh, folks co- uh, who are seeking to get into recovery. Um, I, I, you know, there's not incontrovertible ev- evidence, and like we said, the what, what's the negative effect? It varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. Will the benefits uh, be as profound for one person as the next? Probably not. Maybe um, it just you know it all varies. One of the biggest things, and I'm sitting over here, and I, I'm trying to figure out is obviously I go into a lot of schools, right. and I speak to the kids, and one of the first things that, and I've said it, you know. Uh, cannabis is a gateway drug. I've said it because of my own experience, because it exposed me to other things. So I'm asking, I'm asking y'all, like, help me out with this. I wouldn't say it's a gateway drug. I would say, uh, I, when I was uh, doing some coordinating, uh, was a coordinator for a program in Cherokee, and we worked with some youth uh, uh, near uh, that we had access to. Hydroponic system and I had some kids joke. Oh, well, there are some weed seeds in there, and I was like, "Well, don't do that." Of course, I go through the spiel of like it's illegal, you can't do that, but yeah, you can make a lot of money off of it. And you know, for me, that was legalizing cannabis was the main impetus of going to college. Um, I grew up. <laughs> I kid you not. This is my inspiration was I was going to go off and you know. Where'd you go? I started out at Appalachian State. Mm-hmm. I finished up with my undergrad at University of Tennessee with a bachelor's of soil science, a uh, bachelor of science in environmental science. And then I went on to North Carolina State to get my master's in crop science. And so it was going to grow, man. You that's that's grow. what I'm saying. Like, that was my entire purpose going to college. <laughs> and Caitlin said you knew your stuff, but I didn't think, I didn't know that was your whole, <laughs> that was your whole inspiration to going and getting all that done. That's, that's pretty cool. Man. Well, to the point of, uh, you know, uh, being, using drugs, um, in about sophomore, junior year, I started snorting whatever pill I could get a hold of, started, you know, drinking more. Um, with peer, where the peer pressure or just boredom, and because we live in Cherokee, and mm-hmm. I think you know, how, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, I told myself I am going to go to college. I want to legalize weed, and if weed's not legal in Cherokee by mid 20s, I'm going to pursue that effort. And that was kind of where the whole mm-hmm. uh, project started with Common Sense Cannabis. Is you know, I kind of threw my life, uh, threw my job down, and said I want to focus on this, and I'm going to fulfill that promise that I made to myself of why I was going to college and why I was inspired. And, um, talking to other youth about that uh, experience is to have a real conversation. It's not, well, just say no, because well, mm-hmm. that don't work. Right. Um, saying it's a gateway drug, well, that's not true. Uh, I think it's reasonable to have dialogue with youth in a way that, w- that was not unbecoming of how it was instructed on us. And so in your talks with youth, I would be honest and say, well, there, you know, the, are you not, our country is moving towards uh, a more progressive stance on cannabis um, you could say, pro- you know, firstly, because of the medicinal qualities that um, the impact that it, it ranges across a variety of patients with a variety of ailments, 
you could say uh, it's a burgeoning industry. Um, we got folks from across the country, from whatever state, that have moved to a state where it's legal. I thought about doing the same thing. I was like, I'm going to drop it all and move to Colorado <laughs> and you know, find a company to work for so I can get that experience. Um, so I think it is a net positive um, and highlighting how our uh, society, cultural norms have changed and you know, yeah. kind of dispelling the... Uh, what? That the the negative rhetoric that you know if you smoke pot you're just a stoner and you're lazy and you're not going to do anything in your life that's not true. Mm-hmm. My man's got some degrees to show for it. What <laughs> um three point eight grad three point eight grad school. What um under what basis did you come to that? Just I was sharing from my own experience and yeah. I mean you know we right we the questions we you talked get? about this. Uh, well the first thing it was uh one of the prints actually. Uh, Almost every every principal that I've ever spoke to is like, I need you to really get a, get the point across that this is a gateway drug. So the principals influenced it. So I mean, yeah, I mean, and plus my own thinking is like, you know, yeah. well, I exposed myself, like being exposed to that at such a young age, and it it doesn't. Is it the same now as it was then? I mean, there's a lot of different factors, you know, to to think about here, but. Um, I don't know, man. Well, so I've asked I don't want to co-sign and say, "Yeah, go smoke weed." You know, fourteen. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to say it to do that. To say it's not, though. I would say I recommend. Uh, I would just start by saying, "Well, cannabis is illegal in this state um, across the country. You have to be twenty-one to consume it." Okay. Yeah, uh, if, there are effects that show if you. It's just like alcohol. Yeah. You know, well, if cannabis, drink alcohol, if right? cannabis was just, legal, then it would be regulated. A seventeen-year-old teenager wouldn't be buying cannabis from a drug dealer. They would right. have to go to a dispensary who then would card them and they wouldn't be able to access it, right? So well, like point with that, um, that we had a discussion with Rod, you know, this is his industry, so this is, you know, something that he does professionally. And um, when you know, come to the hemp pharmacy, you know, he just, he told his staff or told staff, you know, the perception is a strong, is a, is a strong thing. And if you're going to be selling hemp products to a 13 year old or a, you know, a ten-year-old is going—it's going to look bad. So, you know, his his recommendation was to card them. You know, they, yeah. make sure they're eighteen, and then they can purchase it and, and do the thing. Well, you know, again, we're going back to perception. It's, it's still a legal product, but a lot of stuff just boils down to personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about—is it a gateway drug? Well, you know, is food can be a gateway. You know, video games can be a gateway. Um, Milk is a gateway to white rich. Because no, a gateway fitness, to I mean, dipping Oreos, even, baby. Even fitness, you know. I mean, I I spent you know majority of my life in in the fitness industry, and um, I used to be um, I used to be obese at one point, and really? I yeah, I used to eat you know large pizzas like it was just a snack. You know, I mean, it was like I mean I just consumed it and consumed it, and uh, rolled it like a burrito. Yeah, I mean I would <laughs> New York cold. I used to do those Mr. Peace pizza, man. I used to. <laughs> used to use them like they was burritos, and I was trying something new, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that about but, uh, you, Jamie. No, it was, um, you know, I, I mean, I did those things, and but I wanted to lose weight so so bad, but then fitness became sort of an addiction, mm-hmm. you know. And I got down, I went from two thirteen to one hundred sixty five pounds in less than two months because I just I played racquetball for hours and hours, and I got good at it, but it was something that I just became addicted to and wasn't aware of it. And um, I wasn't knowledgeable about really how to take care of my body through the foods, through recovery, through uh, mobility, through all those things. So, you know, even a good thing like 
working out can be a bad thing. So, you know, we, we can't just say that, you know, marijuana is a, a gateway drug. You know, it's, it's a personal responsibility. It's personal education. It's the effort to go out and, you know, you know, it's not the matter of, you know, Caleb saying I'm co-signing to go, you know, you go smoke marijuana. It's to say he's co-signing to say go educate yourself because mm-hmm. that's really what we're doing. And that's what the study is doing is laying out the groundwork for what we can what we can do and not just taking our word for it and say, hey, let's just get into this industry. Again, I would recommend that you just be honest and say, you know, there are studies out there that demonstrate um, ne- cannabis can have a negative impact on the developing brain all the way up to yeah. about 21, 25, whenever, you know, we're still developing our frontal lobe, our frontal uh, lobe at the part, uh, part of that, of our brain up to 25. Um, and that's what I've matured on because when I was younger, yeah. probably like, yeah. like no, nah, I'm still smart. <laughs> I, it ain't going to impact my brain. Yeah. Um, and then you look into the studies. So there yeah. are some some evidence out there to be cautious as a young person, but that um, recognizing as an adult, that's your decision. And, you know, I think it's best that we treat our youth as, as adults, young adults. Yeah. And is it like causation that marijuana is a gateway drug or that if you're buying drugs illicitly through a drug dealer, that's the gateway right there. Your, your drug dealer will also have cocaine and meth mm-hmm. and crack. And if if you're exposed to it at an early age, never dealt with this. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some numbers <laughs> before you leave. <laughs> it's a valid point, you know. That yeah. is, that's I've good. Girl. That. Yeah. I, like I had the discussion with uh, one of our individuals. A part of the study was, you know, on the way to Asheville. It was, you know, the way he described it was, you know, you might be going to get your, you know, your bag of weed, but their same drug dealer, you know, because mm-hmm. it's illegal here, it, the same drug dealer could have heroin, could have cocaine, could have all the stuff. That's how, I mean, that's how I was exposed to illicit drugs. That's that fear-mongering, f- too. Yeah. Is, I mean, but is it true? I don't, I, that's how I was exposed to illicit drugs. I mean, I went to buy, to purchase cannabis from my normal dude, and I walked into his house, and he had a couple lines drawn out on the table. He's like, you want some of this? Yeah, sure, why not? You know, boom. And that's you know? kind of my experience as well, yeah. you know, uh, being exposed to cannabis and so then hanging out the with crowds. The next thing I know, I'm snorting cocaine, taking pills. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I'm, I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm not. Well, to your point, the I, black but, market is yeah. probably the game. I mean, though. because, I mean, I'm all about, like, don't tell somebody what to do because they're going to turn around and go do it anyway. So if I sit there and say, you don't need it, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So then don't. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Now, after tonight, thanks. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate the education here, guys. Well, I mean, get to the dare rhetoric <laughs> that, you know, it's a gateway drug. I think uh, it would be wise to, 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 you know, as you're listening to this, do your own research, what's always yeah. said, and figure out how you best want to deliver uh, when you engage with young folks the truth. Um, and I, when I first went to council, I went all the way back. I said, just go back to look at Harry Anslinger in the 30s and cannabis prohibition and um, the war on drugs and just how there's been this systematic approach to uh, whether that be from industry, from the government, to um, label cannabis as this um, societal ail that's going to cause chaos and destruction just has not been an effective um, tool. And generationally, you know, you're, we're, we've been changing the conversation. Yeah. And so that's what that would be, is changing the conversation on how you have that discussion. If you take a step back and look at it objectively, it's a l- it sounds a lot like what people in recovery go through that stigma what do you mean the stigma that's attached to cannabis the old the way that people look at cannabis the same way that people that they look at addicts right like we're trying to overcome this stigma we're trying to educate the general public on substance use and being a person in recovery and the 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 changes that happen in your brain 
um, it's the same type of stigma that we face that cannabis faces on a regular basis. That's like, well, I mean, you know, with CBD, you can give it to your pet. Yeah. I saw that they, the place that you, what's it called? The place in Nashville that you go to? Hemp Pharmacy. I checked out. They had a, because I have a 14-year-old American Bulldog, and he's like, Bianca's been telling him, you need to get him some CBD. You need to get him some CBD because he's like, he's still kicking. Like, it ain't, it's not definitely not time to uh to put him down but he's just slow you know and he's you tell he's got like some little bit of like pain in his hips and back and stuff like that and bianca's like you need to get him some cbd you need to get some. so i checked out that the website to that place and i saw that they sold some specific four dogs and i don't know what the difference is between probably doses <laughs> dog cbd the marketing. peanut butter and meat flavor peanut butter and meat right. flavor. <laughs> but i mean yeah i mean kids can take the, you take yeah. cbd they can it's just a matter of you know Cannabis 101. Well, the studies to say, you know, and that's where you have pushback from within um, our governmental institutions, rightfully so, to say, you know, we need the studies and the data to validate certain dosages for, you know, whatever ailment um, before I think there, well, certainly before there's um, large, wide scale acceptance of it. Mm -hmm. But going back to the anecdotal evidence, that's why you see so many states with recreational or medicinal legalization is that. Um, for far too long, and to your point about, I'm glad you brought up the incarceration because there's been, uh, again, a systematic oppression, um, systematic injustice on people of color across this country, and one of the uh, uh, four cannabis uh, convictions. Um, and then there's also another component as the industry, as there's more legalization across the states, um, you're seeing a far higher proportion of, I think the phrase was non Hispanic whites that are getting into the industry. Uh, versus people of color across yeah. this country, but there's a greater incarceration rate of people of color versus non-Hispanic whites. Yeah. And so there's a discrepancy where, um, in Oregon, they did a great thing by, um, uh, what's that called when you give up um, a charge? Help me out here, help me out here. Oh, um, Expunging, yes, thank you. Expunge, when you, yeah. Um, in Oregon, you're seeing, uh, I think the governor there signed uh, a bill to expunge the records of low level low level drug offenders misdemeanors uh, related to cannabis for like the last 20 years or 15 years because that can negatively impact someone's ability to secure a job to uh, be housing housing mm -hmm. to be productive in society and so there that conversation also needs to is something like that even like on the potential radar down the road yes. for after once I've the study's this, done I've already had this discussion having, about expunge yeah yeah it's a uh, you know it's a tough subject because you're still dealing with that perception that where are you going to expunge everything else? You know, it's, but it has to, you know, if you're a murderer or you're something much more, you know, hardcore than just simple, just simple possession, because, you know, you do have some people out there who utilize cannabis for their own personal benefit and it could be medicinal, um, but they've been caught with it and now they got that on the record, you know, so, and, that, and that can hurt them in the long run in terms of getting a job or, you know, anything else. And, but, I think to expunge those would be a good idea um, or weighing the option of, well, not weighing the option, but weighing the idea of, um, you know, for possession up to a certain amount of ounces. You know, North Carolina is looking at the, uh, the talk of, in North Carolina is that the four ounces for personal use. That's recreational, you know, but could we mirror that? We could, you know, considering we, we do operate in our own system. Um, anything beyond that could be a, you know, a charge or whatever, but the uh, the point of it is decriminalization. That's what it boils down to. And I think Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, but anything beyond four ounces would be a class one misdemeanor. 
is what's being presented. And that's in, uh, on the state level on the or state level on the state level. North Carolina is already considered a, a decriminalized state. So cannabis is considered a schedule six and anything possession um, up to a half ounce is just a misdemeanor with a fine up to $250. So North Carolina at least has that going for us. Mm-hmm. Step um, in the right direction. Sure. You know, keeping the, keeping the court systems not inundated with these mm-hmm. low level offenders, um, not sending people to jail for it. Not, not, um, uh, seeing excessive fines um with i don't i don't really want to talk about illicit drug use too much just because what what what's called what's classified as illicit drug use yeah. but have do either of you two have experience with personal experience using cbd yeah yes i use cbd every day every night and every morning <laughs> tell me about it what's it so i i use cbd primarily for um a bulging disc in my l4 and I got that out of uh, an injury several years ago. Um, the only thing that I was given at the hospital at that time was uh, I asked specifically because I got I got hurt at the gym, and um, I think I was, I was back squatting. I wasn't back squatting a lot of weight, but it was just the way that I turned coming up. And I felt a pop, and I saw a flash in my eye, and I went down. Um, luckily, there was racks on the on the squat rack that caught the weight when I went down, but. Um, I could feel all my, all of my extremities, um, but I, I I couldn't move, and or I couldn't like move well, and so they uh, put me in the ambulance and took me up to the emergency room and took about a team of five people to get me up on the bed. And um, later on, the nurse came in and I said, or she said, um, "How you feeling?" And I said, "Like, what do you think?" You know, and I said, "Well, can I get an, an X-ray or an MRI done just to make sure I haven't had any damage?" She says, "Well, you know, we we think that you, um, we think you just you just strained your back, and so we're you know just give us some time and see how you feel, and you know if there's more pain, come on, come on back." So I was given a basically a numbing shot and some pain meds, and a high dosage of ibuprofen and um, it might be oxycodone, but it was one of the, one of the harder ones. I didn't I didn't I think I only took a couple of that because the pain was so bad, but um. You know, the pain um, went away for a while, and I started um, going to a lot of CrossFit competitions and testing my body to the max and lifting a lot of heavy weight and competing and competing, and just just on the assumption that my back was okay. Over a period of time, that that disc started to progress in terms of of damage, and um, that that disc got narrower and narrower, and it just started bulging out, so... You know, I ended up getting diagnosed with that, so I've had to do a whole transition in my fitness and how to take care of my body a lot better, mobility-wise, to decompress. Um, but instead of resorting to um, high dosage of ibuprofen or anything that could give me, you know, scar tissue in my liver or raise my liver enzymes like acetaminophen and your Tylenol um, or any, you know, higher painkiller, I resort to CBD and I use about a thousand milligrams. Um, as far as oil goes, and I sometimes take 50 milligrams of the of the froggies that are you know that you can get from the hemp pharmacy, and um, I use um, a 500 milligram CBD um, cream that you can rub on like you would icy hot. So I put it on the area, and it, it eases the pain, and it does no um, side effect or damage to my body. So that's that's why I use CBD. Um, I do get the hemp flower from time to time, and it, that helps me out really well too. So how long ago was the injury? I'd say it was when the old hospital was still there, so it's been, I'd say, about six years. Significant amount of time. Yeah, yeah. significant amount of time. 
about you, Joey? Um, I have a, a variety of conditions on my back. I asked recently. <laughs> I said, hey, can you tell me all this term? Um, I had went tubing three years ago, laid down for 30 minutes, ended up with uh, back pain for the next, you know, through now. Um, the last episode I had, uh, I had been using, I told my uh, physician, I said, I don't want to use heavy narcotics. I said, that's just not part of what the scheme I want to use. And so I was prescribed an 800 ibuprofen and then a five milligram um, cyclobenzaprine. And I tried taking that as least as least possible as I can, lowest amounts, uh, less frequently. Um, but there were times where, you know, just depression sets in because the pain's so bad, um, laying on the floor, curled up, not being able to move, and my wife standing over me, just like, I can't do anything, and lay there and cry for three hours. Or I had an episode last year where I was standing up, uh, couldn't move for three hours, and literally had to take all the drugs that I had, uh, which was the cyclobenzaprine, the leave, ibuprofen, um, uh, oh, shit, what's that called? Um... The numbing cream that you lidocaine, lidocaine patch I was sticking mm. on my back. Uh, I took a sh- couple shots of vodka. You know, I was, <laughs> I was. It hurts. You know, to be in back pain. Um, and I incorporated CBD oil in about seven months ago. And um, right now I'm taking like a 40 milligram dose before bed, a 40 milligram dose at the beginning of the day. Um, haven't had. You know, if I have a flare up, I'll take some medicine or if it's sore. Um, but to me that. I get that level of palliative relief uh, for the day that doesn't require any kind of medicine, any kind of um, over-the-counter prescription pills. So just really quickly, there's um, this book I got. It's um, it's called CBD, A Patient's Guide to um, Medicinal Cannabis, and it's called Healing Without the High. Um, you can purchase this at the Hemp Pharmacy, but there's a story in there about this lady who had a, a tumor, and it was a very massive tumor. To the point where it was terminal, deemed terminal, so they they really couldn't do anything for her. So she had to do something to curb the pain, and um, she was recommended CBD. So she started out with that, and I think she was taking about two thousand milligrams a day, and that's pretty much the whole bottle. High dose, yeah, very very high dose, and um, very very high doses every single day, just to curb the pain. But while curbing the pain that tumor started to decrease to the point where they could surgically remove it and then she's cancer free. Wow. So it's, it's just, you know, it was, it was something they didn't There's expect. There's a there. Yeah. You didn't expect anything to happen you yeah. know, in terms of that, but that's what happened. What's funny in all these different stories is that it's always like the last ditch effort. We tried everything else, so let's try CBD instead of like, hey, maybe CBD will work from the beginning. Why do we have to wait until <laughs> we've tried all these other things. When so. I run, uh, a lot of times, like today, I took um, eight 200 milligram Motrin during my run, like every, every two that's hours. That's yeah, dude. <laughs> every two hours, you know, because my legs. Every two hurt. hours? Yeah. That's that's not good for I know, your, right? So that's why I'm sitting here listening to this. Uh, I might be going to get some froggies. Froggies? <laughs> <laughs> Do that, you? That would be my recommendation. Here's yeah. your, uh, yeah, he's got a whole catalog there right there, man. I would just say give it a shot. It's one of those things where it may not give you the uh, um, the effects that you're seeking. Mm-hmm. It depends I, on the body. I think like Jeremy said, like going and talking to somebody in the hemp pharmacy or in one of these um, they are retail outlets specifically retail. required mm-hmm. to understand this book. And that's okay. they have the knowledge there to talk about your issues. So, I mean, there's all kinds of products in that catalog. It's, it's, oh, jam- yeah. it's jam-packed. Yeah. Are you familiar with this group that just opened up down the road here? Mountain Flora? 
I am not. Dispensary? I'm not. Today, today was like their grand opening, right here in Silva. It's, no it's a CBD dispensary, and I don't know anything about who's sure. running it or what's going on. I was just curious if... Well, I know the um, Country Cupboard right mm-hmm. there, um, across from the um, Red Lights coming off the hill, they've been selling CBD products for a little mm-hmm. bit, and... So, I mean, you're going to see uh, businesses like Hemp Pharmacy, the business you just referenced. Yeah. Uh, everybody's, you know, it, they're rushing in. You know, they're rushing. It's a gold rush. It's a green rush. Uh, and it has it's been a green for, rush. Like, for the last five years, six years, as you've seen uh, recreational markets open up. And, you know, citing some of the um, that out of the art view um, research there is that you know it's just it's all it's only going to climb for yeah. the next half century i found me some rob what are you getting giraffe nuts <laughs> giraffe nuts <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, for real i will check them hey, out what you got, got if this. you if you get this thing passed and you get this approved and you get the eastern band cherokee indians their own line of products I ask you one thing. Can you name one thing after Caleb McCoy? <laughs> Just like get him something. Name something. I promise man. you, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no. Come on, man. Come on, Joey. Where's um, the love, man? <laughs> Where's your boombox? Where's your boombox? <laughs> Jeremy, um, how did you get into politics, man? Like, how? It, let me ask you this. Like, was this ever something that was kind of like on your horizon as you're coming up and going through college and? making your way into tribal leadership. Did you ever think that when you got there, you'd be working on something like this? No. no. I, uh, I've always been interested in politics. Um, by the age of 18, I was pretty gung-ho on the idea of running for council, mm-hmm. but um, was advised that I was way, way too young for that, which is ironic because for qualifications to run for council, you have to be 18, <laughs> at least 18, <laughs> which is weird because for school board, you have to be 21. And the magnitude of what's res- what you're responsible for at the council level is the one of the, is the most powerful form of government. Back in you know 20, 30 years or before gaming, you know when we didn't have such a massive budget and we didn't have all these programs and resources and whatnot, it was easier to function the tribe at that age because there just wasn't a whole lot just going less on. Less responsibility. So, but we're talking about a whole different scenario yeah. now. You know, you're talking you're about fighting for federal funding. Yeah. You yeah. had to go to DC all the time. Yeah, it, it's you're, it's a whole different ballgame now. So, I think that the the age limit for council has should be at, at least 25. You know, and I'm 30, but it, I think it should be at least 25. You've got some experience under your belt in the real world. Um, you know, you you've probably went to college by that point, got your degree, and worked in the real world and had everything else established. Um, that that's my recommendation. Because this is this is a whole different beast than what people think it is. Uh, well, when you actually do your job, it is. It's uh, when. Is that a subtle little jab there, counseling? <laughs> <laughs> Just warning you. Right. No, uh, all um, politicians. Oh, and I was I read your platform when I was in jail when mm-hmm. you was first running, and I was like, he's trying to get this change where you got to have a degree because I'm sitting there, you know, like. I, I was hating on you at that time. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, you've been doing a great job, Jeremy. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, it was, uh, my, my interest in politics was far beyond tribal. It's more of on the federal level. It still level. is? To an extent, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it. We'll, we'll see what happens in the next 10 years. But, um, hmm. it's, uh, I was recommended to start with school board. But I had no interest in serving on school board. It was strictly, I'm going to run for council if I'm going to run for anything. 
I ran for the first time in 2013. Um, it would have been a mistake if I got elected then because I still need experience under my belt. Uh, how the tribe operates, how the real world works. Um, I, I, I didn't make the primary. I won by one vote in the primary, and I had a, actually had a recount. It was 107 to 106. Wow. And um, I ended up being, you know, after the recount, I still came out 107, 106, and I was in the top four. And um, I got well over 200 votes, about 236 or 250, something like that, um, when the general election came out. I mean, I, was, I finished last, but nonetheless, uh, you know, I think I was 23 or 24 at that time and <clears throat> still going to school. And, you know, just first time I didn't have a, a family to lean, family background to lean on in terms of politics. I didn't have a political history with my family or anything like that. It was just, you know, I, I made myself known, you know, just slowly but surely. And um, this last election, I didn't expect to get the count that I did, but it, it was just how you carried yourself out and the ideas that you tried to, to exchange with people. And, you know, you, you start earning their trust, and that was one of the biggest factors. And that's something I'm trying to incorporate in this um, now that I'm a councilman is to create an est or establish um, a trust connection between government and community. Because that is something that's so hard to come by, because people do not trust government, and you know, understandably for so. For many of the right reasons. Uh, for all, I mean, yeah. it's just understandable because the system's been abused for so long that we've never had anybody that was truly transparent. We campaigned on that, but we never had anybody really follow up on what they said that they were going to do. And um, the thing that I tell people is be realistic about what you're offering. You know, five, five to seven things that you can that you can say that you can talk about or cover within your first term because I'm telling you, it has to be longer than two terms or two years for a term because when you're a rookie going in, you've got one year to learn something and establish yourself in some point, some form or fashion, and then you're back on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. So it really gives you no time for consistency, and that's why we're so far behind in the tribe is that we've never had true consistency with what we try to do. And then the do. people aren't happy because you didn't get a whole lot done because you're learning, and then you got to cycle. Is that right? Yeah, and answer Caleb's question. Yes, I am running again, but um, you heard it. NC Raw. <laughs> you heard it here on NC Raw. <laughs> you heard it here first. But it's a you know it, it's it's stressful job. It really is. It's a very stressful job. Um, trying to meet everybody's demand and being over about sixteen thousand people entirely is a very hard task to do when your first term. But I tell you, I mean, I, I love my job. You know, I mean, this is something that's um, very impactful for what we're doing. Um, but again, it's helped me out a lot to be realistic about the things that I'm trying to offer and to also extend out talking about the hard things, just like with cannabis, because, you know, I, I don't think this, this topic would have ever came up if I didn't get elected. Yeah. You're talking about things that are just like a couple and years I'm, ago were so taboo, right? Like, well, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm going to touch some nerves here soon because yeah. a project that I'm going to be working on, I'm going to talk with Caleb about it too, is, um, on my, on my photography business. Yeah. So one of the best way to touch people is through photos, is through photography, how to make your photos speak. Which so, you're a hella good at that, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate Those it. winter pictures that I see you posting, bro, yeah, you're hella good at that. I appreciate that, that's it. That's definitely a natural skill set or a skill set that you work I've hard at. I've never taken a class and I've never yeah. watched tutorials. Dude, I've learned just I'm crushes it, bro. Talented. I'm like, I see him posting Bakes these. cakes for yeah. everybody. Bakes cakes, and we go back to that. <laughs> I see him posting like. <laughs> I don't know, I, baked, I tried to bake a. Uh, Something for our, a day one event and it didn't. 
is to bean bread. You can follow the directions <laughs> the, on the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first time you cook something, I don't know if I'd go with bean bread <laughs> or bean orga- bread organic dessert. vegan bean I made, bread. I made some CBD fry bread. <laughs> I saw day. that, man. I saw that. Man, it was delicious. And they were really? call, they were calling for it at the fair next year, weren't they? I had my own booth, CBD fry bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, if I don't get reelected, it'll be CBD fry bread. But <laughs> <laughs> what was you saying now? You want what? What, what you got? What you got in mind, yeah. man? Photos. Oh, through my uh, photo project is to expose um, the drug issue through photography. Mm. So we um, we, ain't, we ain't including Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's going to um, it's 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 what I call hope in the dark hope in a dark place. So a lot of a lot of the um, photos are going to be exposed in a very dark matter, mm. but exposing that there is still some form of hope. So you know, one of the ideas is is like um, I want to give too much because I want people to be. Oh, they you ever see photos as soon as we leave here? We post it on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it's you know, it's sort of like um, I'll just go ahead and, and put it out there. One idea that I have is it's like putting sur- it's like a syringe. It's like, it's like taking a trail. And then covering it with syringes, and then saying, "This is our modern day trail of tears." You know, it's that's it's an idea that I'm thinking about, and um, you know, spelling like you know, taking pills and, and syringes and spelling out, "This is not you." Mm. you know, so it, it's it's a way of of identifying the problem, but saying, kind of training, telling your mind, "This is not what you have to be. Good. This is where you're at. This is not what you have to be." So, I've got. I've got several um, ideas of mine. Um, I'll be working on those very soon. Um, Madison High Long is also working on her own initiative. She's on the West Coast right now, but she's kind of already put out a photo that's kind of, you know, it's um, it's uh, um, Dylan Rose. I think he's in the mask, but he's he's got a spoon with the substance in it, and he's got a lighter under it, but he's also wearing, wearing a Cherokee mask. So it's sort of like what drugs have done to our culture. But also at the same time, how culture can revitalize what we're dealing with. So it's interesting what photography can do. But that's uh, a project that I'm going to be working on. I've got some pictures. I've got a close friend. She's uh, been traveling the country and everything. Speaking. She spoke at um, a big uh, DEA conference, FBI conference, and everything for the opi- opioid epidemic. And uh, she's been doing some of that, some of that kind of stuff. I'll have to show you some before we leave tonight. Cool. cool. All right. But um. One thing that I will touch on that um, you may have was going to transition into it, but it's go back to mental health. And uh, the commentary that I released for um, to refrain from calling re- people in recovery an addict. When did you, you put that out? It's been a few weeks. Now, you're, is it you're referring to an uh, article that was in the One Feather or it something that you posted? In one yeah. Okay. And I got. I, mean, you know, I, I called got, you about yeah. telling you about uh-huh. that. And I got hit on that. You know, I mean, I had people coming at me like, what are we supposed to call them? You know, I, I say you call them people because if you're talking about somebody who's not willing to make a change, and yes, that's the label that they carry. But for example, if I was to take a father who was absent from his child's life, from majority of that child's life, and he decided one day I want to make a difference, I want I want to change, and it could have been from alcoholism, it could have been from drug abuse, it could have been from just simply being scared of being a dad, but he wanted to change and and make an impact in his in his kid's life and be involved. So do I do I champion his ability to change and be a better father, or do I constantly remind him he's nothing more than a deadbeat dad? Mm-hmm. And that's where mental health comes into play. 
if I constantly beat that label into his head, that is what he's going to continue to believe. So if I take an, someone who's in recovery, but I constantly call them an addict, am I champion in, in telling that they can change and tell them they can make a, you know, an impact in life, or do I remind them what they've always been and what they're trying to escape? Now, there are some people who are okay with that label. You know, I've, I've talked to some people, well, I've been sober for 30 years, but I'm still an alcoholic. Okay, well, if you want to take that label and carry it with you the rest of your life, that's up to you. I'm not trying to force you to do something you don't want to do, but I'm not going to remind somebody of some of them they're trying to escape. Yeah. It's tough with the when like the literature and so many of the, many of the fellowships AA and NA use it in particular use it so loosely, um, and then I have mixed feelings about this. I, I totally like, I totally agree with you. Like what using those words, using those things, add Sorry. to the guilt and the shame <laughs> that's carried with you know some of our past. But at the same time, I have to remind uh, people close to me all the time, like it's you can't define it's not up to you how long it takes whoever it is you're having a conflict with your mother your father your grandparents it it's not up to you how long it takes for them to forgive you right like somebody very close to me is like struggling with a conflict well i've got x amount of time in long-term recovery i've changed my life in so many ways yet they still don't trust me yet they still don't you know recognize the work that I've done and the things that I've done. And it's like the amount of pain and the amount of suffering that they went through. They're still holding on to that. They're still feeling that they're still experiencing that. So like, and they might, they might, they might forever. And you have to be able to accept that. All you can do is all you have control over is your behavior today. And like, I don't necessarily call myself an addict right like I'm, I'm a person in long-term recovery in the in the fellowship that i participate in we don't even identify like it's just hey i'm steve that's it, it stops there because i'm just a person it doesn't matter what my past is um but at the same time like you know am i an addict well it's been a rough week this week without coffee you know what i mean like dang it was really freaking hard giving up nicotine last month like, you know, I was doing the vape thing for like two and a half years. It was really hard. Like, are some of my behaviors still, even though I'm not using like mind altering substances, how much of those behaviors are still like in my life? Almost five years later, almost five years substance free. A lot of them, dude, there's a lot of them there, but I'm with you. And it, what you're doing by like making that public statement from somebody um, that so many people in the community look up to your leadership role and that sort of thing. I mean, that's huge. That's, that's, that's a statement. That's a bold statement. Um, courageous statement, dude. I commend well, you for that. You know, this, this goes back to what I was talking about with, you know, trusting in government and community is, you know, I can be honest. I can be transparent. Um, I can give you the plan, the master plan of everything that I presented to you on my, on my platform. But there's still going to be people who have fought tribal government or government in general 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. and they're going to come walking in, and they're going to not trust me with the same aspect. So, you know, and I can continue to carry that behavior that I'm honest and transparent, but they still don't trust me. You know, it's, it's still the same, it's a different scenario, but it's still the same concept. Mm -hmm. um, my job is to understand that this is not a easy task. It's not just a matter of, you know, do I call you an addict or do I not call you an addict? The end result is, are you changing for the better? You know, that, that is the end result. 
is are you are you willing to change or are you not willing to change but what what kills me the most is and i don't mean this in any negative way and i don't mean to have any shame or put anyone down but it's almost like there are some people out there still that when they hit to the point of recovery that's where they stop yeah so there has to be there has to be this um what do you mean? What do you mean? So, like, say, you know, you you spent so many years in addiction, and all that comes, all that comes with it, mm-hmm. and you went to treatment. Now you're recovered. Now you're sober, but have you really jumped to the next level? There's not enough Caleb McCoy. I'm not. We're not. There's not enough encouragement to get you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Just like what you're doing. Nobody's running to Oklahoma. Nobody's started Res Hope. You know, they're, they're just. They're still there, mm-hmm. still in that spot. And I've heard you say that a lot in different, purpose, in different though, language. Yeah. Finding purpose, yeah. Yeah, yeah finding yeah, purpose. Absolutely. Making but, somebody feel like, because everybody wants to feel valued. But there's underlying, like, fear of, like, hey, exactly. it's, like, difficult to, like, I've come this far, and, like, they kind of will settle with settle yeah. with whatever life they have instead of, like, pushing their limits and going out and doing something like that or going out and starting dropping their job and starting some advocacy group because they're passionate about it or starting some podcast, you know, like it's just, but a lot of it's perception too. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, it's just like, I'm I'm sure you battle with that. You know, I'm not sure, you know, we, we, anybody on a level that, you know, for me it was, you know, Jeremy's too quiet. He's not going to be a good council member. You know, he's, he's never spoke up in the past. You know, my thing is, have you really talked to me? Like, have you? Because uh, I I listen a lot, you know, I, I listen and I comment when needed because I can, I mean, I could talk all day, but am I really getting anything done? Do I really understand what I'm talking about? You know, that's, that's the, that's the thing that I try to, you know, that's how I operate. You know, as I, I think. You've been hanging out with the chief, man. That's what, that's <laughs> what he was talking about last we week. We very rarely, we very rarely um, sit down and conversate or, you know, to be honest with you, when we do, we know we have these kind of discussions, but, um, you know, you know, think, you know, what Caleb is doing is beyond what, mass majority of those in recovery have have seek to accomplish so from a leadership role how do you how do we get more how do we boost the confidence of more individuals in the community to pursue their dreams to pursue what it is that they're passionate about there has been people that have been raving successes you know and go on to do some great things and still um uh, label themselves as an addict or a- alcoholic, but there is so many people that that label it keeps them, you know, from getting a good job. It keeps them from reaching out. It keeps them from excelling in these things because it's not a very empowering word, is it? I mean, you know, let's let's be for real. And and there's just so many different ways to describe that and empower people with your words than to say that. I don't want my son. I don't want either one of my boys going around saying, "Hey, my dad, Caleb McCoy, the addict." I don't want them saying that. You heard of my dad? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't want that. And so it's laying that groundwork for people that's coming behind us, mm-hmm. you know, to say I'm more than that. That's not that's not who I am. It's something I struggle with. My experiences, you know, don't don't define me. Yeah. I would say you have to also, I mean, these are the uh, negative effects that come from the words that are used um, can be, you have to care about that. If if you say, well, that affects me negatively, then you're getting in your own mind to say, well, I'm, I'm going to let it. You yeah. don't have to. Um, I think one of the ways that we um, work towards, you know, less addiction in our community uh, by examples, um, but also in our community in Western North Carolina or rural areas, you know, boredom yeah. um, is a big uh, 
lead on to drug use, um, and how do we work on uh, how do we work on making sure that youth don't follow us and why you go speak to youth and um, how do you you know it, it starts by examples. Um, so within our community, from people you know, from your family members, from our elected officials, to set a good example and to speak in a way that's going to make people think that um, to the point of what we're talking about here, not reinforce negative stereotypes. Um, we need more, we need better examples of how to treat each other and to how to live within our communities. I got three good examples right here, though. Huh? Five. Five? Five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's chopped liver. Chop liver. Y'all throw that word you around. Want, <laughs> hey, you want to add anything about the stigma? Caitlin always explains it a little bit better than I do. Come over here. That was good. What, um... This is a, we're, we're doing a marathon, man. Yeah, we are. I was right. We're going to wrap it up now. Um, How can... If folks who heard what you had to say today, how can people contact you to get involved with your advocacy organization or people who might be interested in this study that you guys are doing? Like, is there ways that people can support you and support your work? Everybody contacts me through Facebook. Okay. You know, Facebook is probably the, the king of helping everybody. You know, I've got, I've got a council cell phone and that thing very rarely goes off because everybody's contacting me through Facebook. So... You know, unless they're just really old school and they just want to call you, you know, it's Facebook's usually the best way to, to contact me. Um, J-E-R-E-W-I-L-S at nc-cherokee.com um, is my email. You can contact me there, too. And follow the man on Instagram. He's got some dope photos, man. Even if you don't care about any of the things we talked about tonight, follow him on Instagram. <laughs> he has some killer photos, man. He is talented. I appreciate that. Advocacy work? Uh, we just... Just kind of doing your own thing. The common sense cannabis. Okay. Um, when I was uh, assumed this position as Secretary of Agriculture and Natural Resources for the tribe, um, one of the first actions that I consulted with the chief on was to take our name off the resolution that was passed. And we never had any um, legitimate formation. You know, created an yeah. online Facebook page, and yeah. that was it. We did think about pursuing five hundred one c three status, but we didn't. Um, call if you need to call me. Contact me um, via the tribe. So I'll be, again, I've worked with uh, a couple farmers, one last year, working with another one this year to get their license. Um, we just completed an agricultural economic development um, plan for the tribe through our division. Uh, cannabis is slightly mentioned in there, but the contractor, we I've informed them that there was a separate effort that was being sought after. Uh, for either one of us, you can call 828-359-7000. They'll get us to us. Um, Joey L, nc-cherokee.com. Happy to fill out any questions. Beautiful. Thank you guys both for the two hours. Time flies. Absolutely. Time flies. It was a good conversation. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'd like to like maybe like throw an invite out like to come back like after the study's done, maybe. Absolutely. Kind of like happens with the election this year. Yeah, and like promote promote some election because I'm still on on board. Yeah, I'm definitely like I enjoy seeing the work that you do because you're like you talk about like being transparent. You're totally transparent. Like you're out there doing the work. So, mm-hmm. and Joey, I would like to throw an invite out to you for a future podcast, just to come on and um, tell me some old school Kayla McCoy, McCoy stories. I think that would be a fun, <laughs> uh, a fun like two hour podcast. Like, oh, I got one. I'm thinking of a ride. <laughs> All right. Oh, you're it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Oh, so we, um, <laughs> what 
I would not drink or uh, smoke or do any drugs when I was about 15 and a half because I had my learner's permit. And so we 15 would 15 and a half. <laughs> yeah. So I was hanging out. Okay. What are you, 33? 32. 32, 33. So everybody I was hanging out with was three to two to four years older than me. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed hanging. You know, we, were, we grew, all, grew up together, uh, went from swimming at our local community pool to playing <laughs> yeah. basketball tournaments or whatever hoop was around to riding dirt bikes and four wheelers together to everybody gets a license and cars. And um, I, it's a, uh, oh man, I remember we were DD and up to a party up to Western. And Caleb, I was driving, had his mom's Yukon XL. Tahoe. Tahoe. Was, it, was it black? It was the, it was the Tahoe. Okay. And uh, we were going to a party <laughs> up at Western, and we were just riding through Silva, downtown Silva, blasting Colt 45. Uh, I'm, you know, just it was it was a limelight. We're about to head to a college party, Colt 45. We're all feeling good. And uh, that's just one answer. All right. <laughs> Uh, start stopping point. Yeah, start logging them. Start logging them, man. I, I want to feel like an hour's worth of just Caleb McCoy stories. See, Paint the real picture. You guys are both like doing awesome work. I'm super privileged to have you guys on. So let's do this again, man. Thank y'all for listening to NC Raw. Check out our website, www.ncraw.life, and subscribe to the website. We'll send you exclusive content every time we upload a new podcast. And hit our YouTube. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the yeah, y'all go all, follow us. All the above. Follow us on on YouTube. We need some subscribers. NC Raw Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.